to the dry run podcast uh we're in the throes of monster movie month we're on our penultimate movie if this were a book in the lemony snicket series of unfortunate events it would be the 12th book the penultimate peril uh i'm my name is sam and i am uh here alongside nathaniel and tim hey guys what up what up hey what are your guys' thoughts on the uh, Lemony Snicket series, series of unfortunate events? Did you guys read that as a kid? Yeah, so actually, I actually didn't finish that. Um, Me neither. I um, mostly because I heard that the n- number thirteen, the end, I, which that was the title of it actually. Um, yep. But I heard um, that it uh, was an incredibly big letdown, and you know, I'm not going to spoil it for people, but. I made the personal decision that I was not going to finish the series and preserve my happy memories of it, you know, by getting to like, I don't know, number 11 or 12 or something, whatever, yeah, like the airsats elevator was. I think oh, that that, might be... that's seven. No, uh, that's six. Oh, there's, there's, uh, the I got, I got one. to like maybe the Grim Grotto. I don't know. It was Grim, like 11 Yeah, Grim Grotto is the 11th one. Once they got to 10, they got really bloated and they still followed the same structure of only 13 chapters. So the chapter would be like 50 pages or like 40 pages. And I don't know when I'm reading, I, I typically will look how long a chapter is before I start. Cause I like to stop at the end of a chapter. So it can, can be kind of tedious when you're like, Oh, there's going to be 50 pages. Maybe I'll, I'll wait. That's but, funny. I was actually going to make the joke that, uh, those those books were too long for me, but I guess they actually no, they did. So again, they were, I think I think the last one was close to eight hundred pages. Or oh something. wow, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of like filler in them. Yeah, they were a really good series. Um, I think the beginning kind of hit at the right time uh, in our youth or around when we were growing up. But when the final ones started coming out, I think we were getting to be high school, so not really like, hey, I'm still reading this children's book, kind of zone to be but i finished it i i liked it i don't remember the ending which probably means that like tim said it was a little bit of a letdown but it was all right i really liked the world that they created in that movie did you guys that, like did you guys watch series. the the netflix series yeah yeah I, that's that's what i was just thinking about as well i i i did i did enjoy it um, neil patrick harris was really good yeah, yeah he was I, really good. I actually didn't finish the the last three because it wasn't it like uh, they were released in chunks of like three or four episodes i i didn't finish the last one i think they ended on the ninth book um it was leading up to the slippery slope for like the the last dump of episodes oh wow and, I, okay i've only seen like the first season which covers like up through like lake lacrimose with yeah. the leeches and such you know Yep, that's like the third book, I think. Mm-hmm. Wait, how, how how many episodes are in a season then? Uh, I, like four. It was like four, I think, oh, okay. and they kind of mixed some together. They were long episodes, though. Yeah, it wasn't it, like twenty minutes. Yeah, and they, like... they yeah they didn't have to be. I think they went as long as they wanted to. It wasn't like made for TV where it has to be like a tight twenty-two minutes. Yeah, like, yeah. Like they can elaborate a little more and go a little over thirty minutes occasionally. But yeah, I really like that series. Um, yeah, Neil Patrick Harris was su- surprisingly good. I mean, 
I I uh, I also watched the movie um, with Jim Carrey, and I didn't think that uh, he could be bested. But I don't know. It's it's pretty tight race between him and Neil Patrick Harris. I thought they both did really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest problem with the Jim Carrey one is just that they didn't keep making it so it's just this weird it's this weird standalone of the beginning of the series i i I think the reason that the the netflix series worked better than the movies and why they didn't continue the movies is because the age of the children like like they you know the actors grow in real time so it by the time they get to the last movie if they're going to do it in that way it's like just the way that movies are made they would be too old by the toward the end but with the netflix series i'm pretty sure they like did it almost straight through to avoid that, um, and then released them in a different. Wasn't Ellen Page like fucking thirty five when she played Juno though? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that's I mean, an exaggeration. I, I, I was about to say thirty five. Yeah, definitely not thirty five. But it's like how yeah, old is I mean, she now? I mean, some people definitely um, look younger than their actual age. Um, yeah. So if you haven't read Series of Unfortunate Events, check it out. It's pretty good. Netflix series is good, but. That's not what we're here to discuss today. Uh, our monster of this week is Roman Polanski, <sighs> and we are watching the film Rosemary's Baby. Seen uh, <laughs> by what the fuck was that? <laughs> this is like I'm scared of the monster. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay, um, seen by many is a, a classic film. Uh, the as you already know these are movies that we have not seen all three of us so it was a new experience for all of us and uh, uh we guess we don't want to get into the movie yet we gotta learn about what makes roman polanski um so goddamn monstrous yeah well, spooky let's uh, what makes this guy is spooky the right word for this guy I, I it could be i mean there's a reason that this is the fourth one we're doing where we're leading up to halloween this is the first true horror movie in our monster movie month that, yeah uh, sure that we're doing so it's getting closer to halloween and a little bit of a tease next week we have a scarier film another horror film that is much scarier and a scarier man or a woman man or woman Horror film. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's a horror film. I think, like okay. I said before, all the monsters are men. So, you know, just a little. That's a little taste. A little taste for the. A little taste for the squad there. Um, yeah, all the monsters are are men. A little taste um, for the so. Yeah, I mean, we're not claiming that there aren't any monstrous women, but definitely yeah, disproportionately men. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, in Hollywood, baby. The movie that we're talking about is from 1968, and um, so the allegations that we're going to be talking about, and they're actually not allegations because he has admitted basically to the entire thing and has no remorse for his actions. So these are not really allegations. These, these are, are just facts. Kind of, yeah, they're facts. Um, but so um, he was, uh, he, th- this movie really established his reputation as a major commercial filmmaker at the end of the 60s. And it was it was very popular. It um, He was brought to America uh, ostensibly to do Downhill Racer, but instead they had him read the novel Rosemary's Baby to see if they could make a movie out of it uh Polanski read it in one night and then he wrote a screenplay of it in three weeks um so Roman Polanski is the screenwriter for this movie as well he is not just the director wait wait, wait, wait. what the fuck is downhill racer that sounds so stupid 
Is it is it about roller like incline? That's an excellent skate? question. I didn't actually look into what downhill racer was. Yeah, it, it sounds like a seven sixties skiing movie or something. Yeah. Okay. And it, it sounds pretty lame. But so anyway, Maybe it's about. Uh, I imagine it to be uh, being about like a uh, like a big wheel gang, and a <laughs> gang of eight year olds all on big wheels. <clears throat> yeah, and then when they get to the bottom, they have to walk all the way back up because mm-hmm. it's way too hard to pedal up that as an eight-year-old. Uh, but so, uh, anyway, in on March tenth, nineteen seventy-seven, a then forty-three years old Roman Polanski uh, was charged with multiple things involving the drugging and raping of 13-year-old Samantha Jane Gailey, now known as Samantha Geimer, due to marriage. Um, The grand jury charged Polanski with five things. Rape by use of drugs. Perversion. Sodomy. Lewd and lascivious act upon a child under 14. And furnishing a controlled substance to a minor. Dang. According to Geimer's testimony to the grand jury that indicted him, Polanski had asked her mother, who was a television actress and model at the time, if he could photograph her daughter as part of his work for French Vogue, which he was currently guest editing as a famous celebrity artist. Um, the mom allowed a private photo shoot of her daughter and Geimer testified that during the first session, she felt uncomfortable because he asked her to pose topless. Again, this is a 13 year old. Um, she initially didn't really want to do a second photo shoot, but he somehow coaxed her into it. Wait, who who did she tell that uh, he made her pose topless? Um, she told the grand jury about this later, that that during the first session, she was asked to pose topless. She did it, but she was creeped out again, 1343. Um, uh, and then a few weeks later, she is invited back for a second shoot on March 10th. And it is actually at Jack Nicholson's house in LA. Um, he is on vacation in Colorado and his girlfriend who is living at the house is out running errands. And she comes back and sees that they are behind a locked door and she becomes suspicious of what's going on and is banging on it. But he insists that they're finishing up the photo shoot and you just got to leave him alone. So she gives up banging on the door. Uh, Geimer says, we did photos with me drinking champagne. Towards the end, it got a little scary and I realized he had other intentions. I knew I was not where I should be. I just didn't quite know how to get myself out of there. She recalled that she began to feel uncomfortable after he asked her to lie down on a bed and described how she attempted to resist. She said, no, no, I don't want to go in there. No, I don't want to do this. No. And then I didn't know what else to do, she added. We were alone, and I didn't know what else could happen if I made a scene. So I was just scared. And after giving some resistance, I figured, well, I guess I'll get to come home after this. Ugh. Yeah, so you know, I get I'll, I'll get to make it out alive if I if I go along with them. Uh, she testified that Polanski provided the champagne that they shared, as well as a quaalude. Which, if you don't know what a quaalude is, that is a pill that will fuck you up. Those those fun looking drugs from uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, they are not on the market anymore because they fuck you up. They're deemed too fun for the, uh, yeah, the general too fun population. and certainly certainly dangerous for a 13 year old to be taking and so she took like half of this pill which is again so powerful that you become incapacitated with half of a pill and 
Despite her protest at every action, he performed oral, vaginal, and anal sex acts upon her. And again, you know, she was constantly telling him to stop. Um, She's insisted that this sex was non-consensual. Polanski has disputed this. He has nonetheless admitted to this sex act. So, like I said before, I want to recap, these are not allegations. These these are statements of fact that the perpetrator has admitted to. Yeah, even if it it was consensual, that's still not... It can't be with... Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Legally, legally, morally, psychologically, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. such it's, a strange sa- stance. Oh no, it was consensual. Like what? Yeah, no, like yeah, yeah. Not, his not, opinion, not in the eyes of the law. His opinion when he talks about it later in his own autobiography, because in my autobiography, boy, would I love to have a harrowing chapter like that to <laughs> fucking talk about. Chapter twelve, um, <laughs> the big one, the allegation. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, she wasn't unresponsive and didn't respond negatively when he inquired as to whether or not she enjoyed what he was doing. This is what he said. Oh, um, so, I, so I, I was going to ask, um, like how did he admit to doing it but it, it was in his fuck fucking autobiography yeah but that, that was that would be later yeah that would be later on he would he would write this autobiography hmm. like many years later but at the time um some of the officers involved in the case were basically in the process of trying to get him established as not a pedophile or sexual deviant like recruiting psychologists to basically deny that there was a problem with him again 60s were a different time but i still don't think they were that different of a time um the attorney for geimer was trying to protect her from a really really painful traumatizing trial um and they arranged a plea bargain with Polanski. He accepted because it was a pretty sweet deal for him. Under the terms of the agreement, the original five charges were all dismissed, and they were replaced with a single lesser charge of engaging in unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor. Still sounds pretty bad on paper, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad on paper, but, you know, I mean, again, it, all I you have to do is hit the, hit, the, hit the rewind button, and, you know, you get to see what he had before. You know, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. He got, he got a pretty sweet deal, especially because under the terms of this plea agreement, he was supposed to report to a state prison for a 90-day psych eval, but only after he was allowed to go to Europe to complete a movie he was working on. Under the terms set by the court, he traveled to Europe to complete the filming of Hurricane. Uh, It was a 1979 remake of an older movie that I've never seen. Um, He was seen at 1977 Oktoberfest in Germany with his arms around multiple young girls and jars of beer all around him and was subsequently reported... He was subsequently ordered to return to California and reported to Chino State Prison for the eval beginning on 19th of December, 1977. But was it, was that like the straw that broke the camel's back? It seems back, to have been, like, yes. So was he in was like, on like a probationary like type period or, I think I, I missed a bit here. They, he, yeah, yeah. They so, let so him he go was allowed, the Yeah, they yeah, let him go He was allowed to, to go just work in Europe and finish a movie. He Leave was the country on. and shit? Yeah. And this was a movie that wasn't supposed to release till 79. So they were basically giving him a long ass time. But then these photos leaked. They lost their patience mm. and they made him come back. Um, he only served 42 of those 90 scheduled eval days. 
Um, he was re- they all recommended against prison time, including the examining psychiatrist somehow. Um, however, because he was dragged back and was stuck in, um, you know, basically mental health incarceration, you might say, he did lose his job as the director of Hurricane. And so he didn't end up getting to make the movie that he had gotten furloughed to go do. Um, however, once he realized that his legal situation was becoming more serious and he probably wasn't going to be able to get out of it, he ended up fleeing to London on February 1st of, of 1978, which was the following year. This was where he happened actually to own a residence. He had a house there. And then the next day, he skipped on to France, where he actually was a citizen, because the United Kingdom would have been likely to extradite him back to the U.S. Consistent with its extradition treaty to the U.S., France has a different rule where it can actually refuse to extradite its own citizens. And the U.S. did file a request, and such request was denied by France. Um, He never went back to England and later sold the home there that he had originally skipped to. The U.S. is still trying to arrest or and or extradite him from other countries, and so he has avoided visits to all of these countries uh, that are likely to extradite him. In 79, um, so again, the year after he fled, he was giving an interview with uh, Mar- uh, Martin Amos, who's a novelist, and uh, discussing his conviction, and he said, if I had killed somebody, it wouldn't have had so much appeal to the press, you see, but fucking, you see, and the young girls... Judges want to fuck young girls. Juries want to fuck young girls. Everyone wants to fuck young girls. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, you know, he is... Um, <sighs> just, uh, you know, really just make up your own mind on whether or not he feels there. remorseful about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, uh, when, when he flew... Uh, when he flew the coop, a, f- a few people, including Robert Stack and Joseph Losey, um, they spoke out against basically him being a coward and fleeing, you know, sex crimes against a child. Uh, so it didn't go completely unnoticed within the acting community at the time. Um, fast forward about 10 years, fast forward 10 years from him fleeing the country and Geimer sued him, alleging sexual assault, infliction of emotional distress and seduction the case was settled out of court in 93 so he paid out something for it um after polanski missed an october 95 payment deadline as part of the original deal she filed papers with the court attempting to collect at least five hundred thousand dollars from him the court held that polanski still owed her over 600 grand but it was unclear if this has been paid so it sounds like most likely over a million dollars, right? Yeah, I mean he's probably racked up a bit of a, a bit of a debt in the 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 civil settlement against her. Um, however, in two thousand three, Geimer said straight up what he did to me was wrong, but I wish he would return to America so the whole deal can be put to rest for both of us. I'm sure if he could go back, he wouldn't do it again. He made a terrible mistake, but he's paid for it. Later, five years later, in 2008, she stated that she wished he would be forgiven. She said, I think he's sorry. I think he knows it was wrong. I don't think he's a danger to society. I don't think he needs to be locked up forever. And no one ever has to come out ever, or and no one has ever come out ever besides me and accused him of anything. It was 30 years ago now. It's an unpleasant memory, but I can live with it. Hmm. 
So, you know, that is that is his victim saying that she wants to put it behind him. And again, I think she wants to put it behind him so that she can have peace and move on with her life. Um, so more props to her for forgiving him. But I don't know if that necessarily means the courts of law need to do that. Um, he didn't sound like a like a changed man in in those those quotes from earlier. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, um, the ball just kind of keeps on rolling with this exact same case. Um, they tried to have his lawyer tried to have it dismissed in December 2008 didn't work tried to do it again in January 2009 tried to move it out of LA to get a better more favorable court appearance um, they tried it again in February of 2009 again denied um, and then it looks like Samantha Geimer has tried to have it dismissed from court, and those have been denied as well. Wow. Um, so the state is adamant about prosecuting this, which personally I think is good. Yeah. Um, there's, of course, no statute of limitations governing this case because he had already charged and pled guilty to it. Um, with um, uh, He'd already been charged and pled guilty to it. Um, However, he did make the dumb mistake of, a tr of trying to go to Switzerland in 2009, in September. And he was detained by the Swiss police because, well, we have a treaty with them. And they took him into custody, and they dug around with the legal system a little bit. And because he had been the subject of a, an Interpol red notice at the request of the U.S. for, you know, like four years before that. Um, but... Even despite re realizing that he was a high risk of flight and granting him no bail, they ended up deciding that they would not extradite him because there was a fault in the request for extradition. Yeah. He was no longer subject to house arrest or any monitoring, and they let him leave. Um, yeah, so basically they found that there were technicalities with the documents that they didn't like. Hmm. Um, and so... Um, France and Poland both urged Switzerland to release him. He holds dual citizenship in both France and Poland. Um, but later, both of these governments withdrew their public support for him. When he was arrested in France, uh, it was particularly controversial because the country had downplayed the severity of his crime and focused on his achievements as a filmmaker and how long, how much time had passed, basically. Um, so, you know, they were focusing on some bullshit. Um, they, uh, their, their cultural minister originally backed him up and then he ended up actually uh, getting quite a bit of backlash against that. Um by 2009, the French government dropped its public support for him. Um, public opinion polls in France consistently show that between 65 and 75 percent of the population actually want him removed and kicked back to the United States to deal with this. So French people overall now kind of do want it dealt with. Um, uh, 75 percent of polls also feel the same way. They don't want him to escape another trial. Um, when he was arrested in 2009... More than 100 people in the film industry, including Woody Allen, one of our monsters, um, Martin Scorsese, Darren Aronofsky, David Lynch, Wes Anderson, Tilda Swinton, Pedro, Al 
Almodovar, uh, Guillermo del Toro, Harmony Corrine, Michael Mann, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Jonathan Dem, Alexander Deplat, uh, Terry Gilliam, Stephen Freer, Terry Fremont, uh, Wim Wenders, Alejandro Gonzalez. Um, I don't know who a lot of these people are, but a lot of people. A, a lot of big names yeah, in there, though. A lot yeah, of, yeah, a lot of big yeah, directors. Um, Natalie Portman, Asia Argento. Xavier Dolan. They both later expressed regret for also being part of the signees. Um, Harvey Weinstein was also among the members who uh, defended him. Um, oh, wait. This is a list of people who defended him? Yeah, this was a petition to basically, in 2009, like, you gotta release him. He's a good guy. He makes good movies. Jeez. He's above the law. Um, um, but... Eventually, the Me Too movement happened, and a lot of this shit kind of caught up with him, at least in terms of the court of public opinion. And by May 2018, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences expelled him. They said they continue to encourage ethical standards that require members to uphold the Academy's values of respect for human dignity. Uh, His legal team responded by threatening a lawsuit, saying that they violated the code of conduct, and they said that they still had authority outlined in the bylaws to take action against him if they felt he violated their code of conduct. Um, They (laughs) invited his wife to join the Academy in his place, and she turned it down. Um, I feel like that is a very weird olive branch to extend. <laughs> yeah. It's also it's also interesting that they did that because even after all of this um, that came out in the seventies, uh, he still won Academy Awards in two thousand three for the movie The Pianist, um, and they were still giving him awards and kind of acknowledging like his work, and he wasn't out of it. So even yeah. though he had like an arrest warrant yeah for he, i mean yeah he he had an outstanding warrant for the united states and he was able to win awards still like an international arrest warrant they just like t- totally turned a blind eye blind eye to it it's crazy yeah yeah it's uh it's wild in 2014 <laughs> he was arrested again this time in poland and polish prosecutors ended up deciding that they had to let him go too. Oh my um, god. The president Donald Tusk was not particularly happy about that, but lives. but yeah, they 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 let him go. They they didn't want to extradite him because again, they were not fond of the extradition request itself. They thought it was an unlawful act depriving him of his freedom and civil liberty and it would violate the European Convention on Human Rights, his lawyers argued which is just fucking wild to me. Um, that's, yeah, what about the human rights of the girl he raped? Um, anyway, um, so Poland rejected all appeals by 2016, so they're not extraditing him anytime soon. Uh, 2017, they tried to dismiss the case again. The court rejected it again. 40 years later. <laughs> this case has been going since uh, 78, so or 77, excuse me. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a long, long fucking case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, there was also a thing with the French Oscars actually this year. Did you see anything about that? Is Um, that the, uh, Palme d'Or? Uh, no. Like the golden palm tree or whatever the fuck it's called? Or you mean can? Can? No, no, no. Just the French Oscars, I believe is what it's called. But, uh, he won. the Froskers? Yeah, the Froskers. He won best director in the 2020 Froskers and people uh like left oh the cesar awards and shouted like pedophile and then stormed out what did he make this year uh it 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 was a french film 
an officer and a spy is what it translates to. Huh. Um, and it received 12 nominations. Really? The, uh, but it's... Uh, at the awards. And he, he won for Best Director. And I've uh, never heard of it. It didn't make a, too big of a wave in, in the United States, I guess. Have you heard, yeah, have well, you heard of it? it, it cause, yeah, well, because it... I have not, no. Hmm. But... Yeah, that's... Uh, I think since he was um, thrown out of the um, like U.S. Academy Awards is probably why it didn't qualify, okay. is my guess. But uh, he won Best Director at the the French Oscars, the Froskers. So he's... Uh, the Césars. He's still out there working and making a killing. Yeah, yeah. He can't, can't come back to America, but he is otherwise... He's otherwise a free Living man. Living a good life. Needless to say, uh, the beast was stunned. With a whip crack of his whippy tail. Rub a tail. <laughs> and the beast was still not done. 40 years later, he's. How oh, the beast wins awards. How old is he, dude? He must be ancient. He was 43 when this happened. Really? Yeah. Oh, he was no. 43 he's gonna, when this. He's, he's, he's going to croak soon, and they're not going to get justice. <sighs> Let me look it up. He is 87 years old. Oh, no. That's God pretty damn. goddamn old. God damn. Our best hope now is that he just bitch. dies in prison, but... Yeah, it's looking less and less likely. Well, with all that heavy information... Wait, so he, he was directing... He just directed a movie at age 87? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, he's a... He's a, I don't know. He's prolific. An auteur. Um, yeah, so it's a lot to take in. But uh, that leads us into our movie this week, Rosemary's Baby, a film that was made before all this came to wah, light. Wah, 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 wah. A movie, yep. From 1968, so this was uh, kind of what got him the power and um, notoriety um, to, I don't know, probably put him put put himself in that position to be taking pictures for Vogue and all that in Jack Nicholson's bedroom. I wonder how yeah. Jack Nicholson felt about that. Did he? Well, ever... they they were. The, I'm assuming it's around the time that they were filming Chinatown. So Jack Nicholson was this like the lead of the movie Chinatown that Roman Polanski directed. So I'm sure that's where they were they, probably friends. Yeah. yeah, that's where they became friends. And Jack Nicholson was out of town, and I'm sure he was like, "Oh yeah, just use my house, use my bed." He probably <laughs> didn't know what was going to be taking place, but he probably offered his uh, him to stay at his house. So Rosemary's Baby, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty little we, bit we can get into it, but, spooky, uh, spooky, spooky, so the film opens with, uh, shots of the city, uh, I believe it's Manhattan, I think that's where it takes place, mm-hmm. and holy shit, cities were polluted, my god, uh, the shots are like brown and gray, and like, yeah. you can't see more than fucking 100 feet, Shot, shots of New York and there's bright pink cursive letters over it. I think it looks fucking great. I really love this uh, 
title sequence or the credits at the beginning. Yeah, um, and the music. The music. And... La, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, something okay. like that. Holy <laughs> shit, I feel like I'm there now. That That is that is <laughs> what it is. Been listening to it on repeat. Um, but so the credit sequence, we see shots of the city and it leads into this one aerial shot of a building. We see a a couple walking into the courtyard. Um, and then we are at ground level and we get our first glimpse of Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse. This isn't the same movie where it's, you're actually, it, it starts like in your, in Adam Sandler's butthole and then it zooms out. You know what I'm talking about? That's Uncut Gems. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, different movie. I watched the wrong movie. That's, that's the fifth, that's the fifth monster. Don't. Don't tip your hand that Adam Sandler's our fifth monster. Um, Horrible man. <laughs> so, no, Sandman's cool. Um, so we get our first glimpse of Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse, played by Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes. Um, they are... They are yeah, on a, Mia Farrow's in this movie. There's a, another little Woody Allen connection there for you. Yeah, and we... Uh, they're taking a tour of an apartment. They're with a realtor, or I don't think it's the landlord. It's just a guy showing the apartment. Um, as they ride up the elevator, we learn that Guy Woodhouse works as an actor, kind of just in the small talk with this realtor man. Um, we get a little exposition that he is an actor, not necessarily doing super well, not super prominent actor, but that is his profession. TV commercials, they yeah, mostly TV say. Commercials, yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, but they're they're pretty well off. And he's been they, in, he's been in a couple plays, but yeah, they, they the, clearly the seem to be upper middle class. Yeah, the apartment that they're touring is yeah, they're, pretty, I mean, it's a Manhattan apartment, fucking big. Yeah, it's he, got a Hispanic bellhop boy named Diego. Mm-hmm. Even Dead even in, nine, in the basement wrapped in newspaper. Oh, that's also yeah. Even in 1965, I assume that was probably pretty uh, expensive uh, living, so they are somewhat well off. Um, so the realtor is explaining as they're going up the elevator, just kind of some background of the building used to be, uh, each floor used to be much larger apartments that they have since broken down into smaller apartments. Um, and the apartment that they are checking out apartment seven E is one of these smaller apartments that has kind of been repurposed from a much larger apartment. Previously, Miss, Mrs. Gardenia lived there, and she was an early woman lawyer in the state who died at age 89. Mm-hmm. And all of her shit is still in there, and they say that it's going to take a little bit to move it out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, she like just died in like the yep. hospital or something. So the elderly lo- woman who lived there, uh, she didn't die in the building. She died in the hospital. Um, they're touring the place. Rosemary is really loving it while they're there. She's already discussing like where a nursery would go. This is the first time we kind of get a glimpse that they are a young couple looking to start a family soon. So they're, they're kind of young, looking... dumb and full of cum. <laughs> yep. Uh, they're just kind of looking for a home to, to get their family started. Um, she really likes it. Guy is kind of resistant to it, but ultimately afterward, they decide that they will take the apartment. Um, but before that, they are touring the apartment. Um, the realtor is talking about, you know, locations of the rooms. And he's like, oh, many closets. And they come upon where this closet is supposed to be. And he's very confused because there's a large dresser over where he believed the, the closet door was. 
and uh, they do realize that there is a door behind it. So yeah, it. and you can like see like the dust mark from where the wardrobe was before. Mm-hmm. So like Scratch it's been, it's been moved. Yep. Yeah. So guy and uh, guy and the realtor move it, and uh, it's just kind of a closet with some brooms. I think Rosemary says like, "Oh, why would you, you know, why hide you brooms like the that?" Closet? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a horror movie. Why wouldn't you block out the fucking They don't know they're in a horror movie. Um, Oh, they will. So they ultimately decide that they will take the apartment. Um, Then we go back to the place where they were living before. um, And their their current landlord, Edward Hutch Hutchins, um, he's kind of just trying to dissuade them from moving. He seems to seems to really like them he doesn't want them to move and yeah, he, he's like cooking like a super fancy like, yeah he's like a british him. like he's not he's not their butler because he's their landlord but he's got this i was butler a little confused kind of, by their he's got this yeah, butler like, kind of energy to him he, yeah he, he's just yeah. an accommodating landlord yeah he's a bentley. nice guy um, ben, long bentley energy and when they when they tell him <laughs> where they're moving he's kind of heard a little bit about the building he he believes it to have an unsavory past uh, in previous years, he tells them that it's been o- occupied by cannibal killers who have been uh, said to eat children, uh, Satanists and witches such as the Trench Sisters, Keith Kennedy, uh, and the sinister Adrian Marcado. Um, they also who- said they've they've found a, a dead baby wrapped in newspaper in the basement. <laughs> That's why I said that. Yeah, yeah, which would, which would be you know. I think I think alarming to most people. <laughs> all all of those things, like yeah. in, in one apartment building, it's a baby of either a tenant or an employee, because presumably the you know you, it's a fancy building that it's hard to get into. Yeah, um, and yeah, so Adrian Marcado um, created a scandal in the late 1890s. He tells them, uh, claiming to have conjured the living devil. Um, they're pretty, they, they're in love with this apartment. They, they kind of just decide to do it. Hutch isn't super resistant. He just kind of gives them the information that he was. Uh, and he, you can tell, he kind of jokes with them about how he doesn't want them to move. He said, uh, I was tempted to tell your new landlord you were drug addicts and litter bugs. Instead, I decided to lie and say you were wonderful tenants. Kind of just an Aww. endearing little, thing. Little, little British cheek. Little, little know. joke to say to someone you're going to miss. You don't want him to go, but. He's clearly joking. Yeah, he, he was. He wanted to lie so he could keep them. Cout. So Rosemary and Guy decide to move in anyway after this warning from Hutch. Um, like we previously said, Guy is an actor with a spotty career. Um, I, he's done TV commercials, plays, um, but he is looking to advance his career. And he's excited about this new place because he says that he, he'll be able to walk to some of the theaters that he'll be performing at, which is a nice little perk. It's kind of just in the neighborhood where he hopes to be working. Um, they begin to move in and get settled into their new home. Uh, they're looking to have a baby in the near future. They kind of kind of are just a young couple looking to get, get their start. They Some days pass. They move in. We get a couple shots of them moving in. Um, we see them make love on the floor with no furniture at one point. Yeah, they yeah, also they use they use a piece of a shelf to you know as a floor table to eat a little Chinese takeout meal. You know, in between moving. Also, when they when they when she says, "Hey, let's make love," yeah, did you think that they like 
I guess that's just how people maybe talked back then, but like the way that they just kind of like got nudes side by side, like without like yeah, looking the, at each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, word, he's just like just no foreplay. They just shirt. they just straight up just get naked. <laughs> yeah, it's silently, it's like a like a good like forty five seconds of them just like taking off clothes in silence on the floor, and then they just like. Yeah, and they're, like, Start on opposite it. sides of this takeout meal. So then mm-hmm. he, the guy, like, walks around it, and then you know, they start kissing, His I guess. His balls but... fall into the soy sauce at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Chinese tea bag. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> uh, so time progresses. We assume they're setting up their apartment, getting frisky every time they do it. Um, and then I'm one to have that baby, mm. yeah. Parking that Big Mac truck right in Mia Farrow's little garage. So one day she uh, she uh, is down in the laundry room of the new apartment building, um, and she runs into this woman, Terry Genofrio. Um They strike up a conversation, and Terry explains that she is a young former drug addict who is rescued from the gutter by an elderly eccentric couple. Roman and Minnie Castavet. Um, we learn that the Castavet's apartment is um, the other part of Rosemary and Guy's apartment, the, the larger version. Um, part of their apartment was sectioned off and turned into a smaller apartment, and that is the one that they have just moved into. So uh, Terry is kind of excited that they're on the same floor, like they're essentially neighbors, so she's meeting the neighbors in the basement. Yeah, um, and this is the family who's on the other side of the partition of what used to be the bigger apartment, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. They, it was their apartment was bigger, and they sectioned off a small part of it for Guy and Rosemary's apartment to kind of just create another apartment up there. So while they are talking, um, Rosemary advi- admires a pendant necklace that Terry has. Uh, she tells her it's a good luck charm that the Cassavettes gave her. Um, and when Rosemary goes to look at it, she notices and dislikes this pungent smell that comes from this uh, this pendant. And she, I don't know, she kind of hides it from her. She doesn't want to tell her her necklace stinks, but definitely some discomfort in it. Um, later, so she meets, she meets her in the basement, and later we get a quick scene where... Uh, Rosemary and Guy are once again getting frisky in their new bedroom. While they're doing this, they begin to hear sounds uh, through their walls. Their walls are kind of thin, and they they kind of notice this sound that sounds like a group of people chanting. It's very weird, just a very brief scene. They don't really talk too much of it, but we just kind of see that for the first time. Unfortunately, Rosemary's friendship was with Terry is very short-lived. A few days after Rosemary met her, her and Guy are walking home when they see police surrounding the front of their building. Uh, As they approach, they see Terry's corpse and uh, discover that she jumped to her death from the bay window of the apartment. Um, During the interaction with the police, the Cassavettes happen to be walking home too. Um, They're pretty, like, somewhat upset by the news it's this woman that they took into their house and she committed suicide out of their apartment i thought they uh, took it like pretty pretty damn well yeah it wasn't it wasn't not, not a tear shed yeah they it was like i think they, like, oh, it seems like a disbelief thing oh, no. but yeah they were kind of just like 
oh no i i didn't think she was gonna do that um she got deeply depressed every three weeks or so but i mean otherwise she was just such a bubbly person yeah and they they oddly also strike up an acquaintance with the woodhouses while they're standing over the corpse of this um, woman that lived with them and uh actually invite them to dinner kind of strange when you're Standing over the corpse of a... <laughs> Someone who jumped from your apartment. Yeah. Uh, one th- well, she drops by She drops by later. Uh, Mrs. Castavet drops by to thank him for the well wishes. And then she's kind of like going yeah. around their apartment and looking at stuff. That's when... But that's when she... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they don't... She doesn't invite him to dinner at that moment. But she says, oh, we're the neighbors. Like, we should interact, essentially. Um, one thing that's really cool about the Cassavettes is when they come up, they're wearing these super awesome, colorful clothes. I really liked their uh, wardrobe for throughout the whole movie. They've got kind of cool style, um, but like fancy to, old people. Yeah, fancy old people, just lots of colors, mm, lots of red. Um, and by, by the way, the uh, what, what's the the old lady's name? Mini Mini Cassavettes. Mini Cassavettes. And by the way, the husband's name is yep. roman Actually, I, which is yeah. unbelievably distracting when yeah they- <laughs> yeah his name is roman castavets and this is a film directed by roman polanski and starring john Cassavetes. so it's a it's a strange mix of both of their names yeah definitely done on purpose um, i feel like yeah for sure um and like tim was saying a few days later Minnie Cassavetes knocks on the woodhouse's apartment she's like, hey what's going on she has the fucking she, yeah, she sounds got, like the, the like the uh the female like like tommy wiseau almost like she has something oh i just thought i'd drop by and make sure you needed some donuts <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she's she stops by their apartment and row which is what they call rosemary throughout this movie i'll probably start saying row Going forward, but Roe answers the door, and Minnie thanks her for passing along the kind words of what Terry said. Uh, outside, when they first met them, she kind of discussed what Terry had said about them and kind of just was talking positive about how they rescued her from the gutter and all that. Um, Minnie kind of just walks herself into their apartment and begins touring it, um, and uh, Roe tells her that they are planning to have a baby in the near future. Uh, Minnie extends the dinner invite to the Woodhouses for that evening. Uh, Roe initially declines, but is kind of guilted into it. She's like, oh, it's we. It, it'll be our first time being alone since like her death or whatever. She kind of just guilts him into it. So Roe agrees, and then later Guy gets... Minnie, Minnie leaves the apartment, and when Guy returns home, uh, he's very upset when he because he found out that his fellow actor, Donald Bumgart... Uh, gets the part that he was hoping to get but it didn't stop him from like squeezing her butt instead of like greeting her <laughs> no, <that's laughs> naturally that's um, his chosen way of interacting with her when he guy, guy believed that this role was going to be what takes his career to the next step um, after hearing this Ro tells guy about the dinner invite from the cassavettes for that evening he, he doesn't want to go, but Roe convinces him. Uh, Guy says that he doesn't want to get too friendly with this old couple because they'll never be able to get rid of them once they do. Ultimately, they end up going to dinner at their apartment. Uh, 
Roman serves them drinks and discusses that he's been nearly everywhere over the course of his life. Vodka blushes, said to be very popular in Australia. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and that strikes up his conversation about how he's been around everywhere. They ask Roe where she's from. We find out she's from Omaha, Nebraska, and was raised Catholic. And I'm pretty sure in a previous scene, like after they witness the aftermath of the suicide, does she not have some troubling Catholic school dreams? Yeah, she does have a she does have a strange vision of like kind of a nun. And it was like it was like dubbed over too. Like I don't know if yeah. you guys noticed that. Yeah, like, it was like trippy, dubby. Yeah, it was kind of the first. Um, kind of sense we got of her religious background but mm -hmm. she she states it at the dinner with them uh and at the dinner table roman starts just shitting on the pope and saying that he pretends to be holy and elaborates on the hypocrisy of organized religion and just kind of goes hard on religion yeah it says you don't need to respect the pope uh, he also brings up a play that he saw where guy performed and asks him if he has any big parts coming up uh, Guy tries to dismiss it, but Roman insists that he thinks there are big parts on the horizon for him because he feels that he is a great actor. Uh, after dinner, Roe and Minnie head to the kitchen to do dishes, leaving Guy and Roman to talk in the living room. Ah, uh, yes, the women go off to clean. Uh, after dinner and after dishes and all that, they return back to the, their apartment, talking about their dinner. Guy says that he plans to go over there again tomorrow night to hang out with Roman. Uh, Roe isn't as interested in returning and decides that she will not go over there. Um, one thing Rose hung up on is that it looked like there were picture hanging pictures had been removed in their apartment. Like there was, you know, the you could clearly tell something was there, like the shadow mark, the shadow marks of this, or like the sun fading of where pictures used to be and that just kind of was strange to her and Got she said there were different ones in their places that didn't match the marks like it yeah. looked like they had switched out their art yeah mm -hmm. they switched mm -hmm. out their art guy says he doesn't notice he doesn't really care kind of dismisses it i, li I like the uh i, I like I, what i really liked about this movie is that like their like relationship in the beginning is like super believable there's actually mm -hmm. like a lot of parallels between like like uh, myself and my upstairs neighbors <laughs> Um, because they're also like an elderly couple that uh, we have like the exact same like thoughts on like oh like I don't know if like we should like like they baked us cookies like should we like return the favor and like now they like always call us and shit and like just like chat and yeah. uh, mm. that can def that definitely guy, so, guys concerned cookies is, out of it so we do yeah we get we get cookies out of it um, yeah but so I could I could definitely like relate to like the way that they're feeling about the. Uh, the situation. Yeah. Yeah, cookies. So the next day, Minnie and her friends stop over at the Woodhouse's apartment. Minnie gives Roe the necklace with the pendant that was previously Terry. And her friend is like equally loud and obnoxious. She's like, ah, this place is just so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I just need to. And, and of course, they just go over and sit on the new sofa and sit yeah. down without asking. Yeah, they ultimately just kind of barge in. Mm -hmm. um, Minnie tells her that she does not want the, the pendant at first. Or uh, Ro tells Minnie that she doesn't necessarily want the pendant. Like, oh, no, I, you don't have to give this to me. But Minnie tells her that the pendant contains tannis root for good luck. And uh, that's ultimately where that smell is. And Minnie, Minnie's friend assures Ro that she will get used to the smell in no time. 
And this is the pendant that I think they actually said this is the pendant that belongs to the now dead Teresa. Yeah. They're just like re gifting this dead woman's pendant that they just like yeah. gifted her yeah, I don't, originally. I, I don't think they, yeah, I don't think that they said that when they gave it to her though. I, I think she like, she, she, recognized, she recognizes it, it. But they didn't it. say like, oh, this is, you know, from our, from the dead girl, you know? Okay. It's also to... during the scene that uh, Rosemary mentioned she's on her period, which I was surprised they mentioned in a 60s movie written by a man. But what the significance of that is, she's not pregnant yet. Yeah. And they're kind of keeping tabs on her cycle to try to mm, conceive, at, conceive at the correct moment when she's the most fertile. Um, so we cut to Guy returning from his hangout with Roman, where he once again enjoyed himself. Rose shows him the necklace she was given. He tells her since she accepted it, she she should wear it, um, even if it does have a weird smell. He doesn't want her to be rude by not wearing this gift that was given to her. It's taken quite a quite a shine very quickly to the people that he originally didn't want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Yep. G- Guy is growing increasingly fond of the Cassavettes, but Roe finds them kind of annoying. Um during this conversation, the phone rings and Guy answers to find out that his fellow actor who just got that part that he wanted has suddenly gone blind. Because of this, they ask Guy if he will now accept the part which he does. <gasps> what a he, twist he, of fate. He feels that he, he says that he feels bad uh, to get it under the circumstances, but he's very happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, I think it it's is super ulti- obvious. It is ultimately going to be his big break. But the man who was going to get it before has now woken up blind. Like it's it's obviously, or obvious. It's obviously super obvious. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, you knew what was going on like by this point, right? With, yeah, yeah. You do get, you think well, do you, you think get it was, the idea that you think it was as obvious in helping him by somehow hurting Donald Baumgart because yeah, he you know yeah the neighbors yeah. are the neighbors are. They seem him. to be doing something. Yeah, yeah it was like getting... super obvious. Do you think it was that obvious when the movie first came out? Do you think people knew what was going on right away? Or uh, I mean, to a certain extent, it's almost um, like a... it's also based on a book. I'm sure some people are familiar with the book, right? But um, yeah. So so after this, Roe goes to visit Hutch and tells of the new part that Guy has been getting. He get, he gets another one after that as well. They kind of mention offhand. He, so he's gotten two big roles recently. Um, and this new role is a television role, um, in addition to the play that he got for the man going blind. Um, but he's so busy with work that he's been preoccupied. He's not spending enough time, uh, doing the fucky anymore. And, uh, in this conversation, Hutch brings up Terry's recent suicide at their new building. Another strange happening at the Black Bramford apartment, as he calls it. Um, with Guy's new success, he is excited and decides that it's now time to try for a baby. They have a nice romantic dinner, just the two of them to celebrate and prepare for their attempt to conceive a baby. While they are having dinner, there is a knock at the door, um, and Guy goes to answer it. It's Minnie who drops off two little dishes of chocolate mousse, which she calls chocolate mouse. It's the chocolate mouse. I'm just dropping it off for you. <laughs> yep, that's yeah, that that, straight up how she sounds. <laughs> um, so that so that it's this dessert that they can have. Um, a nice gesture, it seems. Uh, well, well, and surprisingly, she leaves them alone. Yeah, after she's just bringing dessert. 
While Ro is eating hers, she realizes that there is, as she calls it, a chalky undertaste to the dessert. Mm. Which couldn't um, possibly be pills crushed up inside. Yeah, no way. <laughs> and Guy insists that there isn't any in his, and it would be rude not to eat it since Minnie did all this trouble in making it. Uh, he continues to eat it. Uh, Guy leaves the room to flip the record. When he does, it wrote... Well, they got in this kind of like weird petty argument, and then he kind of like storms out because he's like, will you go turn the record over? And he like just like sulks out to go do it. We got yeah. like super pissed that, that she like didn't like the taste of it. He's like, like he's super like, obviously yeah, he's like, like, this is delicious. Like, yeah. like, yeah, like he was being, yeah, like it was... Eat I don't the know, fucking kind mouth! Of, yeah, it was a li- I mean, it wasn't that intense, but it was kind of uncomfortable, I thought. Like, it was a little bit... uh yeah, like yeah, because like up to, to what to do. Up into that point, he was like a really like goofy guy. Like I was like making like yeah, like happy slick, go lucky. Yeah, 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 really silly guy. And then to see him get so angry like that was uh, definitely in contrast to how he was acting. You know. Yeah. So prior. so they kind of he kind of forces it on her, and she asks him to go flip the record. He leaves the room to do so. When he does, Roe dumps her remaining chocolate mousse into her napkin. And when he returns, she goes, see, I ate it all. And he's like, oh, good, good. Um, after dinner, when Ro is doing the dishes, once again, uh, she's leaving the kitchen and she becomes, ex- she, ex- she says that she's getting very dizzy. Um, and Guy comes over and kind of walks with her and then she eventually falls to the ground. Um, Guy brings her into the bedroom saying like, oh, you must have had too much to drink and lays her down on her bed. We'll just get pregnant tomorrow, they say, you know. Yeah, but. yeah, because they, pl- yeah, they were planning on um, having sex, but he says that she had too much to drink and that they can always reschedule. Um, once Ro is in the bed, reschedule. we get this. <laughs> we get <laughs> You free the 28th uh, afternoon? <laughs> it's not good for me. Anytime, fa- anytime <laughs> past five. Um, oh, I'm not on my cycle anymore. Uh. Yeah, and that's part of it, too. It was, it was the day when she would be the most fertile. Um, cause mm. they, they looked at the calendar earlier and she kind of has it marked for when it's supposedly the best time to conceive. Um, once Rose in the bed, we get this cool shot of her floating on the sea. Yeah, like her, her, her bed is floating on the sea. Really cool. Super it, cool. I really like that shot. The water is super blue and I think the bed is super red if I remember right. Or am I, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely is very vivid in its pattern and the sea. Um, the, the, there's and, not a, there's not like a ton of like use of color in this movie and i think just like the the that scene in particular like the contrast of the color the blue like the deep or bright blues and like the bright reds looked really cool yeah yeah the uh this movie is gorgeous it looks really good um so she's on the bed having these weird kind of visions she mutters we have to make a baby before drifting off to sleep uh, guy then takes off her clothes while she is having a dreamlike like vision of being on a boat where it appears like there's a party taking place. And Hutch is the actually a sea captain undressing her in the dream. Yeah, of all people. And uh, there's this cool shot during Which this when weird. she is being um, where she's being undressed, um, where she realizes she's naked, so she goes to cover herself, and then when she pulls her hands away, she's wearing a bathing suit. Like this weird trippy hallucination, yeah. kind of camera trick, really cool. It looks really, really good. Because she only ate, she only ate, you know, 
half the pills she was supposed to so she yeah. can like remember it yeah she's not fully um in the state that they would hope or whatever is happening and at this point the dreamlike vision gets progressively more fucked up uh so rosemary is floating on the mattress in the sea visits a cruise ship with the kennedys um in attendance uh and they remove her wedding band and she is carried through uh the sistine chapel we also get a brief shot of the linen closet with guys saying uh easy you got her too high is something that she hears someone say then she's back on the cruise ship naked and told by the skipper to go below deck um because it's the it's kind of getting storm-like the sea is getting very choppy uh while she's doing this she's naked again in this shot and she is walking to below deck she passes a burning church and lays down on a mattress uh below deck um, the unsettling dream becomes a nightmare when she finds herself surrounded by naked elderly people, including Guy, the Cassavettes, and the other Bramford tenants, like Minnie's friend. Is this the first movie to, uh, to, uh, to coin creepy naked old people, cult-like people? I don't know. Yeah. Good I mean, old people are, like, naked or scary looking, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All those fucked up teeth growing out of their nipples and yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. So just skin on skin, dude. Too much skin. So these these uh, naked people around her, um, we see them start painting her naked body with what looks like red paint. Um, there is also a statue figure of a bearded man staring down at her, and two men then tie her to the bed by her feet then we get this weird thing i didn't notice this is what it is but in looking at the movie uh the the woman who speaks to her about soothing her for not feeling ill is jackie kennedy apparently um i missed that but it's supposedly supposed to be jackie kennedy who's telling her that she's not feeling well and that everything will be okay kennedy's first catholic presidential family Mm. yeah and uh so guy approaches her bed um, that she's sitting in after she has been tied up. But then something that looks and feels inhuman um, starts touching her. We see these weird demonic hands kind of running up and down her body. And it kind of gets more and more violent. And she is essentially brutally raped by whatever this thing is. And then at one point it zooms into her mouth and she just goes, this is no dream. This is really happening. Yep. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's a, I don't know, that's a little on the nose there. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I yeah. like that line that much. No, I, like, I burst out laughing. I was like, what the fuck? So she exclaims that, and then we see Pope Paul VI, um, who is currently visiting uh, New York City. Uh, he is also in the vision and having a mass at Yankee Stadium. Um, and he comes to just to speak with her it's kind of uh, weird yeah he forgives her for not coming to see him on account of the mouse bite yeah which is what minnie calls the moose and yeah minnie is we've heard her in the background saying don't worry she ate the mouse she's asleep yeah and so the next morning rosemary wakes up in a daze vaguely remembering some very strange dreams she had (laughs) this part is so fucked up this part's more fucked up than the uh than the actual like rape scene itself yeah 
her her body is covered in scratches and guy says this is because they had sex while she was unconscious <laughs> well unconscious well she uh since he did not want to miss the quote-unquote baby night and uh, he has yeah. since trimmed his nails which is what caused the scratches rosemary kind of so like scratched the shit out of her and like yeah, fucked her when she was totally yeah, passed, passed out, out. Yeah. and and rosemary kind of remembers being raped by something inhuman and he blames uh, and it on the alcohol yeah and <laughs> he at, also says and that, at one point he says um you know it was kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way that's right. Oh my God, that's right. Very strange. And this I didn't is like want to miss well, baby night. Like, this is yeah, well, yeah. he's getting dressed like for work in the morning. Yeah, super but... weird. Um, so later we see Rosemary visiting her doctor, Doctor Hill. Uh, he ch- checks her out to see if she is pregnant. She finds out that she is pregnant, uh, and Doctor Hill calls and wants her to come in to give another blood sample for some reason. And he kind of mentions it having to do with blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a little detail that, that she repeats that when she's told over the phone. Um, when Guy gets home that evening, she tells him that she is pregnant. The first thing that Guy wants to do is go tell the cast of Vets. Um, he's very excited to tell them, which is kind of a strange... Um, if you don't know what's going on by now, you're a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> the writing's on the wall at this point. Um, to so, I mean, to some extent. Uh, and so Guy, then after he goes to their apartment to tell them, he returns with the Cassavettes and they congratulate her. Um, Minnie insists that instead of going to Dr. Hill, she should go to their close friend, Abe Saperstein, yeah. a prominent obstetrician. He's she's, the best of the best. She's he's, super insistent on it. Oh, and he's going to give you a great deal. None of those rich folk prices. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. calls him and yep, on the spot. And and he agrees to see them. Yeah, he's happy to do it. Um, so later we see um, Rosemary go to visit this new doctor, Dr. Saperstein. When visiting Dr. Saperstein, he tells her that to not read any baby books or listen to her friends. Um, because no two pregnancies are alike, is what he says. Uh, he also tells her not to take the vitamins that Dr. Hill had prescribed her. And that he will instead have Minnie make a daily mixture that will be good for her. Yes, mm-hmm. I will prescribe you your neighbor makes you a smoothie. <laughs> that looks like a weird chocolate chip smoothie. Best it doctor in the good. city, people. Yeah. Your you know, neighbor's going to... I know that your neighbor has an herb garden. I'm going to have her make an herb drink daily that will have more vitamins and be safer than anything on the market. Yeah. yeah. He, say, he, he makes a, a mention like, oh, you don't want those uh, vitamins that have been sitting on the shelf for like so long. He's <laughs> like, you want the freshest ingredients, you know? Yeah, right? there's no guarantee that the druggist hasn't had them for years yeah yeah no and it sounds super silly but it is actually played off like pretty like pretty well and like the thing the thing that's that usually convinces her to not be as suspicious as she normally would was that her husband is you know totally like encouraging her to do every you know yeah it's like everyone everyone versus her essentially yeah yeah Yeah. roe is and uh, and and i've got a lot to say i got a lot to say about that but roe is very much on her own in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah um, and so ultimately Saperstein insists that sh- she should always call him first over anyone else about her pregnancy. He wants to be, uh, captaining the ship of her pregnancy and doesn't want any outside influence or anyone telling her anything. Everything needs to run through him. 
So during her first trimester, Rosemary starts suffering from severe abdominal pain and loses a lot of weight. Uh, though Dr. Saperstein um, claims it's temporary stiff pelvic joints. Yeah, um, normal expansion of the pelvic region. Yeah. She also gets a very short haircut at around <laughs> yeah. the same time. This is the best uh, my favorite and, part. And, and one evening... Um, when they are playing Scrabble, like shortly after they get her haircut, uh, Guy and Ro are playing Scrabble, a board game that <laughs> yes. will come in handy later. I actually like that they, they put the Scrabble in at this point. Oh, I didn't um, notice that. And when she tells Guy that she feels awful, his response is, you look great. It's that haircut that's awful. Yeah, no. And right before <laughs> that, she like come, she comes in, like peeks her head around the corner after getting the haircut. <laughs> and I went and to Vital Sassoon. The, the, first thing he, the first thing the husband says is, oh, my God, don't tell me you paid for that haircut. <laughs> the first thing that she really, says, yeah. really going I went on. to Vidal Sassoon. And, and this is this is kind of an uncommon hairstyle for the time. Would it not be? I feel like yeah, a, a like woman a, with short a, hair a, is short not, pixie haircut. This not, movie popular, uh, popularized it. I did a little bit of research on that. Interesting. Yeah. So... Um, after this, after the discussion of the haircut, they're playing Scrabble. We get this quick little scene of Roe in the kitchen eating extremely raw meat. They don't. It's just a shot of her eating some raw meat. Kind of strange. Uh, but yeah, she's eating this bloody ass meat and just like you know, just like she's like gorging on it. Like. Um. So later we see Hutch paying a visit to their apartment, and he makes a comment that Roe is looking terrible. Uh, her gaunt appearance alarms Hutch, who inquires about her health. While Hutch is there, Roman stops. And she really looks like a skeleton. Yeah, she looks, she, very, looks, she looks very she looks very fucking gaunt. horrible. She looks is just really pale. Like she looks a lot different than she did at the beginning of the movie. No, no, the like right when he sees her, um, uh, his his first words to her were, "Oh my God, what's wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah, they're really that, going that, in. That on again her. is a is to, is a. A dig out at her uh, on her haircut. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so men men like conventional women in this movie. So while Hutch is there, Roman stops by and comes inside. Um, when Roman enters, mm. Roe notices that he has a pierced ear. It's this shot of his ear and a little bit of a music cue, like "Ooh, this is important," which. Ultimately, <laughs> like doesn't when you really... see a clue in L.A. Noir, it's like yeah, Bang! and it ultimately doesn't really pay off later. I feel like there potentially was a, a scene. I that think was, in the uh, I think in the rape scene he he had yeah. I think it has in. I think it has to do with uh, like a demonic or, or like witch as, ritual or ritual as if or as if gay as as if you didn't know when she said idea. this is really happening. This isn't a dream. Maybe it just confirms that uh, it was really happening and it wasn't a dream. <laughs> this isn't happening. This isn't a dream. That man's wearing earrings. <laughs> Are those e- e- earrings? <laughs> um, so while Roman is there with Hutch, they're introduced uh, and they begin to discuss the tannis root um, is the mixture that Roe is drinking and uh, it also is contained in the necklace that she wears. Um, Hutch comments that it looks and smells more like a fungus. And he plans to look it up when he gets home. More like a fart. <laughs> and Rosemary says that she likes the idea of national or natural medicine and imagines tannis root has always been a part of early prenatal tradition. Yeah. It was, was, it was during... Being, 
it was during that point when when it was like he's like i'll have to look that up in the encyclopedia i'm like gosh that would that would suck to have to like go home and like do that you know yeah starting we're such spoiled bitches Uh, so eventually Roman leaves the apartment, uh, and Roe and Hutch hang out for a little longer. They're talking. He kind of mentions again that he's going to do research on the Tannis route when he goes home. And then when he's leaving, he grabs his coat and mentions, oh, one of my gloves is missing. I must have left it where I was previously. It's kind of a little offhand line that ends up being fairly important. Um... (laughs) <laughs> Later that evening, Hutch calls Rosemary and tells her not to go anywhere. He wants to meet with her tomorrow morning for something urgent, but doesn't want to give any details over the phone or until they meet. Uh, Roe asks him if he ended up finding his glove, but he says that he still can't find it. Guy asks what that was all about, and she tells him about her plans to meet Hutch in the morning. Uh, the next morning, Roe goes to meet Hutch but he does not show up. She calls his apartment to figure out where he is. When she calls, Hutch's Hutch's friend Grace answers and tells the unfortunate news that he has fallen into a coma earlier that morning. Which was absolutely a coincidence and not at all related to what's been going on, of course. Um, And I don't know if you know, I think think it's this scene when she goes out to meet him. I don't know if you noticed, Inga. I'm sure you probably did, but this is a Christmas movie. Oh yeah, it, 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 it there's a lot of Christmas shopping going on. Yeah, it, it, it is Christmas at this point because it is leading up to New Year's Eve, and they do have a party at some point. Yeah, they, they, they do a nice job of as her pregnancy progresses. We see the different holidays that would happen over the time. I believe she gets pregnant in around October, and then uh, is going to be having her baby around July. Yeah, and so she's staring at this creepy nativity scene, which is an excellent marker for, you know, like roughly two months or two and a half months has gone by, basically. Yeah, helps show time. Um, And she also runs into Minnie while she's out there, um, which is strange. Who, See, no, yeah, yeah, it would be a coincidence. Takes, takes her home. She just like wields this intense influence over her. She's like, we're going to bring you home. Yeah, she brings her home to give her another. Yeah, you one shouldn't of be the out mixtures. here. Um, so With you being two months pregnant and all. So that it was Christmas time during this. So we find out that um, some time has passed because the, the next scene, um, they are at a New Year's Eve party at the Cassavette's apartment where several of their friends are in attendance, the Cassavette's friends, not uh, the Woodhouse's friends. Uh, Roe discusses her health problems with Saperstein, who tells her not to worry. At one point, Roe goes into the kitchen and starts to eat the organs of the turkey that is being prepared to cook. Mm. It is at this time when she catches a glimpse of herself in the torture... In the torture. uh, Torture device in the corner. She she catches a glimpse of... (laughs) She catches a glimpse of herself in the toaster and looks very alarmed that she is eating it. And like it was kind it's of like an, it was an un- running down. Her it was chin. an unconscious decision. It wasn't really like she she just kind of did it without thinking. Um, so they're at this party. Rosemary's getting kind of I don't know. She's still in a lot of pain. It's kind of wearing on her. We can kind of tell. Um, and Guy asks her about it, and she bizarrely, bizarrely replies, "Oh, haven't you heard?" It'll go away in a day or two. Hmm. 
Yeah, and it and it's at this time when she. It's been two months. <laughs> yeah, and it's at this time when she suddenly starts making plans to have a party, um, and she doesn't want to invite the Cassavettes or Saperstein to attend. Um, this is the point when she tells Guy about the pain, and he's like, "Oh no, it's fine, it's fine." Kind of downplays her her pain. Um, and later, Minnie stops over at the apartment and asks her what she is prepping for. When she, uh, Minnie's bringing over that mixture for her to drink. Uh, and she's kind of being insistent that she wants to help with the party. Like, what can she do? Uh, Rosemary kind of is strong at this moment and pretty much shuts her down and declines the offer. Um, she says and, she's self-conscious about her cooking. She doesn't want anybody watching her. You got to leave. Yeah. And she, she's, she also says that she doesn't like people watching her eat because Minnie is insistent that she watches her drink the mixture. Um, before she's on, she's on to them by now a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she's a li- something's going on. She can tell. So she refuses to drink the thing. She tells Minnie she'll bring the cup over when she's done with it. Um, once Minnie leaves the apartment, we see Roe dump the mixture into the sink. So she. She's on to him. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't like it. this. She, she pushed like it the, in the sink and she, washed it down. Um, so then some more time passes. We cut to the party with exclusively Roe and Guy's friends. Uh, She's she catching up with all of her girlfriends and tells them she is pregnant for the first time. She hadn't told them yet. This is the first time she's telling them that she's pregnant. They're like, congratulations. And guy, yeah, guys you like, look really pale like a piece of chalk. Congratulations. Yeah. Guy <laughs> says, thanks. There's nothing to it. I kind of like that <laughs> line. <laughs> uh, um, after a while, Roe breaks down crying in the kitchen. Uh, and her friends kind of shut the door and keep people out. Guy was trying to get in, but they kind of have a little bit of girl time in the uh, kitchen. He's like pushing it. He's like trying to he's like push this, these girls out of the way. And yeah. They're trying to hold the door shut. He's like, God, oh, what's going on in here? Yeah, he's trying really hard to get in there. And once they have girl time in the kitchen, she tells her friends about how much pain she's been going through throughout her pregnancy and how Dr. Saperstein keeps telling her that it will go away, but it does not. Um, they convince her to go back to Dr. Hill to get a second opinion. Uh, and just tell him everything that's been going on to kind of be like, hey, what, what's with this pain? Yeah, like I want a second opinion. Like, yeah. Uh, after the party is over, Roe tells Guy that she plans to go back to Dr. Hill. He's extremely upset and says that it would be unfair to Saperstein for her to go. And she is... She makes no she's, sense. She's furious. She's like, unfair to him? Are you? This is me. This is my health. Very rightly so. She's correct in that situation. And and he doubles down, saying that she doesn't ha- have his permission to see Dr. Hill for a second opinion. And he calls her concerned friends not very bright bitches. Yeah. They're a bunch of not and very bright I bitches. I was very struck at this, you know, by how men, and particularly in this time, um, but, you know, but also back then... Um, like they wield enormous economic influence over their wives and they can just simply refuse to pay for things and they can really control their wife's life like because mm-hmm. he is the breadwinner and so obviously she doesn't need his permission but yeah, she, she does need his home. money to pay for the appointment yeah she doesn't she doesn't and have he a job is saying i'm not going to pay yeah yeah and so guy keeps trying to convince her otherwise and that she should actually consult dr saperstein before going to dr hill and potentially talk to him about who she should go see instead he wants he wants her to 
to tell Dr. Saperstein to see maybe he has someone that he can give to her for a second opinion. Um, suddenly during this argument, Roe freezes. She just freezes in place and announces that the pain has suddenly stopped and she, and she can feel the baby kicking. Um, Guy asks her what was in the drink that she was drinking and she lists the ingredients and she says eggs, milk, and sugar. I, I, I personally kept waiting for sugar to be an important thing in this movie because it's come up twice uh, yeah, on the, the phone sugar. with her. Yeah, the blood sugar thing. Yeah, I felt Having like, a second blood test. I, I feel felt that like that there was... were some details in this movie that definitely didn't get followed up on. Yeah, and maybe they were bigger in the book. Like, no, yeah, it, it was either bigger in the book or they, they cut scenes later, but it definitely was part of it. Sugar was, was a thing because after this point, once the pain stops and Minnie is bringing the drink over, she also brings like a little square cake with her going forward from this point. I think that that contains sugar and it makes the pain stop, but they don't really get into it. But it definitely seemed like it was an important plot point at a certain point, whether it was in the book or they just cut it from the movie. Um, so after the pain stops, Roe is kind of, all of her suspicions are kind of thrown away. She's, she's not adamant about going to see Dr. Hill anymore. Um, we get a montage of her being happy and preparing for the baby. And she's like uber pregnant, you know, like big, yeah. big bulge. Yeah. So it's a montage and we see massive tits. We, we see her drinking Minnie's mixture again. Now with this little s- square of cake each time that she gets it, that she eats along with it. Uh, we also see them setting up the nursery. Yeah, maybe it is like a, like a masking like like uh, yeah thing or something because like so obviously the I think the, the, I think the baby the baby wants on the baby well the baby wants the meat the the meat I feel like yeah I, I the way that I took it is that the baby is like taking all of the sugar from her or something mm. I don't know because it seems like that that would make sense with the because Doctor Hill talked about her blood sugar being low in that blood test or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe it was, yeah. Um, maybe so, it was just an excuse to like give her, you know, cakes and shit that had, you know, stuff well, in sugar it. is traditionally associated with decadence, which is also kind of associated with, you know, the devil and, you know, sin and greed and, um, you know, Christianity, like at least old school Christianity is not very big on having fun. Um, so during this montage, we also see Roe packing a hospital suitcase for when she goes in labor, just a suitcase with changes of clothes, uh, something that pregnant women do in preparation for long labor when they do go into labor. Um, and she does this even though um, Guy asks why she's doing this because it seems kind of early. Three weeks He claims early. that, yeah, it's three weeks from her due date. Um, at this point, the phone rings, and it's Hutch's friend, Grace, who previously called, or, or who Roe called, and she was the one that informed that Hutch had gone into a coma. Uh, this time, Grace tells her that Hutch has died. We later see Roe attending Hutch's funeral um, in a cemetery, and she finally meets Hutch's friend, Grace. When she meets Grace, Grace gives her a parcel wrapped up in paper, she tells her that before Hutch regained consciousness, he regained consciousness before he died, and he thought that it was the morning he was supposed to meet Roe, and he told the doctor to give this package to her and to tell her that the name is an anagram. Which is cool. Like I like that idea of him like waking up and like not knowing any time has passed. Yeah. Obviously, you know they like definitely put some thought into that. 
Yeah, and so he was kind of out of it when this happened. So the the instructions were unclear. It went through a doctor, then through Grace, and is now getting to Roe. So it's mm-hmm. kind of unclear so, what he means it, by the name is an anagram. Yeah. But it was he was very adamant to to tell her that in giving her this book. Um, so Roe returns home, and she opens the package. Uh, it's a book called All the All of Them All of Them Witches. Uh, she finds that a few pages have been marked with their corners folded down. Is it all of them witches? Or yes, is it all, all, them all, witches? All, all of them, them witches. witches. All of them witches. Yes, strange uh, grammatically. But uh, so there's a couple pages with the corner folded down. These pages are about Adrian Mercado, the Satanist who is attacked outside of the Bramford apartment and previously lived there. One of the people that Hutch mentioned when he was kind of warning them about the past of this building. Uh, remembering she was told the name is an anagram, she pulls out her Scrabble board and the tiles, which we saw previously um, when she was playing with Guy. The book also notes that there is a ritualistic fungus called Devil's Pepper, which is used in witch rituals. Rituals, please. Yes, w- excuse me, w- w- in rituals or black masses um, or blasses. Black. Um, Black masses. I'm just kidding. Black um, masses. So she remembers. She was told that the name is an anagram, and she pulls out the Scrabble board. Uh, the pages about Adrian Mercado also state that he had a son, Stephen Mercado, and that the name Stephen is underlined. Uh, she kind of moves around the, the tiles. She tries to make an anagram of the title of the book, which she initially thought that's what he meant, that the name of the book is an anagram. But when she sees Stephen Mercado, suddenly everything clicks, and she realizes that it's an anagram for the name Roman Castavets. Um, so <gasps> Stephen Mercado and Roman Castavets are one and the same. They're anagrams of each other. She thought the anagram might be... Uh... Originally, Elf Shot Lame Witch, which I was kind of oh, yeah. hoping that For that's, the where the title. Movie was gonna, <laughs> like, uh, that's where that movie was going. Comes like a, with the Fall was a much better one, because why would you have an anagram with, with like, you go from witches to witch? Like, you just, that's a pretty lazy anagram. Elf Shot Lame Witch, like, what if that was, like, foreshadowing and, like... In the end of the there's movie, like a, there's like a, there's like a, there's like a dwarf person. No, there was who, an elf like, living in the closet. That, that that's the why time. the lady blocked it off because the elf kept coming out stealing <laughs> their guns. And in the end, you have to be a powerful witch, not a lame witch. Is the only way for the elf not to kill you. Elf yeah. liberation so now. Dude, he just thinks her. the witches are so fucking lame. He just he's like these. They they, they need to they need to go. Give me the Dobby gun. is free. You gave Dobby a gun. Um... <laughs> What what do you guys uh, where where do you guys stand on Scrabble? I like Scrabble. I think I like it's Scrabble really fun. Too. I like. It. I don't play it enough. I like. It. I don't play it enough. I guess I heard that they're taking like racial slurs out of the accepted tournament answers. Um, Probably a good idea. Yeah. Which is interesting because <laughs> like I guess like swear words were taken out of them a long time ago, but it was like still cool to. Yeah. W- wouldn't a racial slur be considered like slang? Which is usually not in Scrabble. They might have made that argument as well. Interesting. There's a lot of reasons why that shouldn't be a yeah shouldn't be a thing. It, obviously, the slang thing, not <laughs> being offensive. Um, not so, a real word. <laughs> so, so guy returns to the home. She tells him the chilling truth about Roman's past. Uh, that his ages line up. He's the exact age of Stephen Mercado. She's connected the dots. 
he is in fact um, Stephen Marcato. Um, guy reads it. Being he, that, that being the the grandpa, right? The, it's the, the son of Adrian Marcato, who is oh. the, the Satanist who conjured up the living devil. Right. So the neighbor's he, dad was a Satanist, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, Guy is like, "Oh, this is interesting. No, no wonder he changed his name with a father like that. He, he was embarrassed. He, he kind of downplays it, yeah. uh, and he takes the book from her and stashes it on a bookshelf and says that she shouldn't be reading it. It's going to stress her out and potentially like." hurt her pregnancy he doesn't want her getting all stressed out and she <laughs> insists that she like whatever Give but i don't want the cast book, of us to come over anymore yeah she doesn't want to she doesn't want to be around them yeah so she 100 percent knows by now she yeah. thinks that they're gonna take the baby and use its blood and, and to make it. like yeah, yeah to, to, to make like flying ointment or something mm-hmm. um so then we see make delicious num nums we see Roe visiting uh, Saperstein's office to voice her concern over Roman's past and is worried that Minnie's mixture might have an ulterior motive. Um, Saperstein tells Roe that, that Roman is, is now severely ill and will be leaving the coming weekend. Um, and he kind of he acts like he believes her, like, oh, yeah, the mixture. Um, here, I'll give you these pills instead. And he prescribes her pills instead of the mixture for Minnie. Uh, when she returns home, she finds that Guy has thrown away the book. It's no longer on the bookshelf. It just has disappeared. He tells her that he threw it away. Um, and she's like, why? Why'd you do that? Yeah, you didn't need because it. it was a gift from her, her dead friend. Yeah, Hutch. It was the last thing he gave her. And that's kind of what she said. Yeah. She's like, what the heck? That was Hutch's book. And he's like, oh, I didn't think about that, but I didn't want yeah, you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want, want you want reading you. that. Yeah, I didn't want you reading it. Um, so this seems to be the final straw for Roe. And she discards the necklace in the sewer as she heads to purchase more books on the subject of witches. We so see it, it's at this point where she's like, she's one hundred percent certain that these motherfuckers is witches. Yeah, she need, she wants yeah. to she wants to research more. So she she gets rid of the necklace and goes and purchases more books. Uh, in this new book, she discovers that a coven can blind, deafen, paralyze, and ultimately kill someone by using a personal possession of the victim. Uh, it's at this point that she phones Donald Bumgart, the uh, man who suddenly went blind that got Guy his uh, big role. She, but she, uh, she already looked up the Tannis root and, and, and shit, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. that was in the that yeah. was in the first book. Okay. Yeah, okay. the Devil's Pepper. Yeah. Yep. Um, so she phones Donald's uh, and asks him if he needed back the item that he lost after meeting with Guy. She's like fishing here. Yeah, she's fishing to see if he lost something. And he confirms that he did exchange ties with Guy, but he no longer needs it because he's blind and doesn't care the color of his tie that he's wearing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty clever dialogue there. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. There uh, are a lot of like uh, blind puns that he like. <laughs> Speed Eye came with like three like I'm blind puns. Yeah, well he's like she's well, like, he's like she's like how's your it, how's your like... how's your day going? He's like oh I only broke four glasses today. Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. as a joke. <laughs> um, so she then hangs up the phone with him and grabs her hospital suitcase and heads to Dr. Saperstein's office. Uh, upon arriving at Saperstein's office, she's asked to wait in the waiting room. While she's doing this, the nurse mentions that, oh, you must have a new perfume. Uh, and weirdly says, uh, no offense, but it smells a lot better than your previous smell. Which is a very strange thing to say. She's like, oh, yeah, I... It's a new well, perfume. Yeah, it's it's better than the tannis root. And then and then the 
this uh, nurse or receptionist uh, tells her that the smell kind of reminds her of the way that Dr. Saperstein smells occasionally. Uh, It's at this point that Rosemary realizes that Saperstein is part of the coven, and she panics and leaves his office waiting room. She makes up an excuse. Oh, my my husband, I got to meet with my husband, and quickly gets out of there. And she's already running from her husband because she's become convinced that Guy possessed his he, rival actor to make him blind yeah and yeah it was a lie that she was going she just needed yeah. an excuse to get out of there so she then she, she then goes to a Run. phone booth where she calls <laughs> dr hill's office to try to make a last minute appointment uh he reluctantly agrees to meet with her even though he says he's pretty booked and tired he's been working a lot it's that, very uh, very inconvenient for him that payphone scene was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Though. Yeah, she has like really pressed cool. speech. Like she, she sounds very crazy. She's very uneasy, and as people approach the phone booth to use it, she's like kind of has a different look. She's like, "Are they part of it?" She's very like suspicious. Yeah. It's very suspenseful. It's like one, it's one cut, and it's just like it, the the camera's in the payphone booth with her. Um, it's very like claustrophobic, and um, and there's a it shows her like uh, pretending to like talk on the phone because other people like are coming up and like I think a one lady like knocks on it, like knocks on the door. Yeah, or whatever. and she and she initially is waiting for a call back from Doctor Hill because she talks with the nurse. And yeah. she so says, it, oh, it shows her whole, like pressing down on the yeah. receiver so she can like receive a call. You know, yeah. I don't really know how to just yeah. explain that, but um, Wait, yeah, that that didn't make sense to me because if you hold down a, a phone like the it typically means the line's dead when you're doing that. Yeah. No, 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 but no, but when it's but when it's hanging. But that's what she was, she was holding that down. Yeah, like that's but that's how. Yeah, she was doing that. Oh, she I was holding the, it down so she phone. could receive the call yeah, while also looking, pretending okay, to yeah, talk yeah, yeah. on the phone. Yeah. I was I was thinking of it like a like a home phone, you know, when you like press it down, it, yeah. it, it, oh, yeah. it like cuts the line. Um, so anyway, she arri- She goes to meet with Doctor Hill. Uh, she arrives at his office and pretty much tells him the entire conspiracy, showing him the books about witchcraft. Uh, He sits there, he's kind of reading, just kind of taking it all in, listening. And he says, uh, she says, they're trying to get my baby. And he's like, well, it it sure does seem that way. He he seems on board. Um, She's very relieved. This is the first person that really has believed her she's a moment yeah she's like uh reading like from the book and stuff and he's like can i have that can i have a copy of that like yeah he's he's, you know he He seems interested like he wants to research it further yeah um so she's relieved to find that he believes her and he offers her a room to rest in um she goes into yeah, this room and, and that kind night, of, that night he's going to get her into Mount Sinai. He's promised and a, a quote nice clean hospital, what you know because that was back before you know hospitals had superbugs living in them. Yeah, and she's trying to hide from uh, her husband, and he the doctor Hill see he asks who her previous doctor is, and she says Saperstein, and he's like Abe Saperstein. Oh, I kind of know him. And, like, he seems like, whoa, weird. Like, this is a prominent doctor that's tied up in all of this. So he gives her a room to rest, and she goes into that room waiting for him to return. She dozes off um, and then wakes up to a light of the door opening back up. And she wakes up and finds that Dr. Hill is there, but he is with Guy and Saperstein. um, And they are there to take her back. Dr. Hill obviously didn't believe her and just thought that she was had gone crazy so she called he called her husband and dr saperstein to take her back 
Is uh, that how you took it? Like he wasn't in on it? You don't think he just thought that she was crazy? I don't, crazy? Think, he, I don't think he was in on it. I think, he just thought she was crazy. Yeah, and, I think he didn't yeah. believe her. And so, yeah. That's also how, how because, I took because, it. Because they, say in sure. front, because they say in front of him as they're leading her out, like, you can't mention witches again. If you do, we have to commit you. And nobody mm-hmm. wants that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they bring her back to the Bramford apartment building. Uh, when they arrive in the lobby, Roe drops the contents of her purse as a distraction, and she yeah, take- that was really cool. I really liked that. Yeah, like it- the men, because because like she knows that the men will all scramble to like help her because she's like super pregnant. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so they help her, and she pretty much hijacks the elevator and takes it up. And runs. Yeah, to, she shuts it behind. Floor. Shuts it behind her and sends yep. it up. It's like a little yep. mini chase scene with like two guys and like a super pregnant lady just waddling like super fast. Yeah, so she takes the elevator up to her floor and she quickly makes it into her apartment and locks the door with the chain so no one is able to enter. Even if you have the key, you can't get in when something's chained. Like a hotel room, that chain you pretty much would have to kick down the door to get in there. So she feels some sense of security that that chain is on there. Guy can't get back into the apartment. She's in there. And so she goes to the phone to call for help. I believe she's calling Grace Hutch's friend. Uh, It was a little unclear. But um, while she's on the phone, we see several people quietly enter it, like in the apartment behind her. Like it's a shot of her on the phone. And then in the background, we see people entering this apartment and they seem to be coming from where that closet was that we saw initially, Mm. the closet that had the dresser in front of it. So after she's done on the phone, um, she turns around and there's like 10 people there entering and they're trying to convince her that everything is all right. Uh, She throws the phone at Guy and just just starts screaming. She, she, she does not, she's not, doesn't believe them. Um, and so they overpower her and just a group of people hold her down and inject her with a sedative. The doctor. And she is I screaming think, right? bloody yeah, fucking murder yeah, during all of this. Thrashing like, and, and, and just trying to help And Saperstein also like touches her belly to make sure that the uh, baby's still alive. It, it, like, you know, in birth when they like try to turn over a baby in someone's stomach, he like kind of does that. He's like grabbing the baby. So she's out. She gets injected with this sedative. Um, and she later wakes up. Uh, she, when she wakes up, she sees Guy standing over her. And he says everything is fine. Um, she and, went into labor due to the yeah, struggle. He says that, yeah, she went into labor. And she falls asleep again and then wakes up. And Minnie's friend is there. <laughs> this kind of funny, actually. Um, and she kind of spooks her. Yeah, she's um, like, what happened? And- yeah, and like, oh, you yeah. scared the shit out of me. Because <laughs> she's sleeping next to an unconscious woman, and then she just talks to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think she's reading a book or like. Something yeah, like. she's she's just watching over her, and so then she leaves the room, um, and then Guy and Doctor Saperstein enter, and she's like, "Where is my baby? What have you done with my baby?" And Saperstein explains that unfortunately she lost the baby in labor. He tells her that uh, she can try for another one once she recovers. Yeah, and they're so casual about it. Like, you can try again in a couple months. Like, <laughs> yeah, we can make another one, I think, guys. Yeah, we says. can make another one. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, they like tell her that being a real bitch right now. They're they're gonna get they're gonna get her back to strength. In a they're few gonna, minutes, bitch. They're gonna give her <laughs> some more stuff. And they also mentioned that they like she she did produce the milk, so she, they they kind of have she has to still like milk like she has a baby i guess to get rid of it they kind of say um so she doesn't believe their claims at all 
Um, and she claims that they stole her baby, which was her initial suspicion that they're going to use it for the rituals and use its blood or eat it like she read in the book. Um, so she starts thrashing again, screaming at them like, I don't believe you. You stole my baby. So they inject her again with a sedative to calm her down. She falls back asleep. Um, she wakes up again and Guy is there and he kind of tries to explain to her that this type of hysteria happens when a mother loses her child and it's normal. Like, I promise we didn't do anything. I wanted this baby too, but, um, like you're just, you're, th this happens to mothers when they lose their baby. Yeah. We can try again in a couple months. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's when he says Richard we can Wine, try again yeah, in a couple months. Like postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... We cut to, I don't know, sometime later, um, and Ro is in bed watching TV, recovering from all this. And while she is watching TV, she hears a baby crying through the walls. Um, she tries to investigate where it's coming from. And uh, I think Guy re-enters and says that someone else in the building had a baby. And that's what no, she, she asked. She's like... Uh he, or he was like, yeah, someone someone new moved in or whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, have a new, new neighbor family. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, they do have a baby. How did you know? Oh, I, c I could hear it screaming and crying. It's like, <laughs> and the nurse tells her, you know, you got to get back in bed. You got to yeah. take your pill. They got a live-in nurse. The nurse, who is Minnie's friend, who's also involved with the um, her kind of getting milk. And she, <laughs> and she puts the <laughs> milk, she puts the milk in a little like, dish and then um roe grabs a dirty spoon and puts it into the milk and she's like oh no 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 don't do that and she's like why aren't you just getting rid of it she's like uh it just is a little more messy if you do that and kind of and she's like what like okay well, this milk you don't want me to taint it what are you doing with this milk mm -hmm. so then she's left alone in the apartment she's convinced that something's going on she heard the baby crying that thing with the milk the milk tipped her off um, the milk did, yeah, because before that, like, it didn't really seem. It seemed like she was still like um, almost like may maybe like rethinking like her whole position and like thinking maybe yeah. like she was I kind of buying in crazy, it, yeah. yeah. But now that yeah, then the milk thing and her hearing the baby crying, they're taking her milk. Yeah, something something now weird she's, is going on. She's back on the horse. So she's alone in the apartment and she goes to the mysterious closet. Um, and starts removing shelves from the back wall of it. When she's doing this, she sees like a keyhole and light coming through it. Oh, I love this. And she, she, she turns on the, the closet light accidentally and then quickly turns it off. She's like, oh, I don't want them to know that I'm in here. And she looks through the keyhole and she can see what is um, the, shoot, what's her, Minion, the Cassavette's apartment is what she can see into. So it's connected through a secret door. Um, so she then goes into the kitchen and grabs a huge knife. Uh, and when she's going back to the closet, a uh, guy re-enters the apartment and grabs what appears to be like a, a cooking pot, which kind of, she sees that. And I think that's kind of alluding to, oh, they're going to eat my baby. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he grabs a cooking pot. And when she hides from him, she, she hides in the nursery and accidentally hits the crib and the crib is going and kind of making noise. And there's a super awesome shot of guy like down the hall in the kitchen, grabbing the pot. And she uses the knife to gently stop the cradle. And it's just, just super awesome shot yeah, it's really cool. where she stops the knife, uh, where she stops the cradle with the knife. It looks probably my favorite shot in the whole and movie. And then there's like a doll yeah. in the cradle too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so guy leaves the apartment with this pot. Um, now armed with a knife, Roe goes through the secret door in the closet. It leads into the Cassavette's apartment. When she's in there, she notices all these demonic-looking paintings on the wall. And this, sure the, 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 enough. It looks like a like a church. It's like almost. burning church, yeah. and there's one that looks like it's got like demons in it. Uh, pretty cool. Paintings. I mean, like the whole like apartment has like totally changed. Yeah, it's, it, it's it, look. Yeah, it's, she was. It looks like it, a, it it appears looks like a church. She was I, correct about there. I actually, yeah. I actually yeah. didn't know that that was their apartment when I watched it. I totally missed the part where like the, the it's connected. Where it explained. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was just like a totally just like a satanic church like behind their closet, and it's been there the whole time. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> fucking awesome. I actually prefer that, yeah. but gotcha. And and, and so it's these, just a refurbished neighbor house. Okay. Yeah. And so um, these paintings on the wall explains her uh, earlier observation that it appears that pictures had been removed and replaced with other ones on the walls. So clearly, when they had them over for dinner, they took down all this like satanic artwork and replaced it with something else. Um, so she begins to creep deeper into the apartment, and as she does, she hears people talking and laughing. She continues walking towards these noises, and she enters a room filled with a lot of people. It's the Cassavettes, their, their elderly... Elves. Their, elves their, and guns. Their, their elderly friends and guy. She's standing in the room for a moment before someone notices her, and it's Minnie's friend who screams because uh, she's alarmed because Rose just in there with a knife. Um, and Ro just kind of stands there as everyone looks at her and she takes in her surroundings. Guy sees her and walks out of the room. Um, Roman like, tries to talk her down and she says, shut up. You're in Dubrovnik. I don't, I don't hear you. Yeah. Which I thought was super um, interesting because to me, that was a very strong indication that she could be hallucinating this entire thing. Yeah. Uh, there's people and they're trying to calm her down. And she also, one thing we see in the room is a painting of Adrian Mercado above the fireplace. And there's also on one side of the room, there is a large black crib with an upside down cross hanging above it. Um, she approaches this crib and is horrified to see a baby with horrifying demon eyes. Uh, she asks, what have they done with her baby? Roman responds, he has his father's eyes. And she's like, what? Those aren't guy's eyes. And it's kind of the first moment, like, Satan oh. Satan is his father, guy's not, not guy. He came up from hell and begat a son of mortal woman. <laughs> yeah. So he explains that Satan is the baby's father, <laughs> which, <laughs> it, which, is, which is punctuated with, a, with everyone going, Hail Satan! Um, Hail and, Adrian as well. And, uh, and Roman has this, this quote, which Tim was kind of saying, Satan is his father and his name is Adrian. He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and the torture. Hail Adrian. Hail Satan. And uh, Ro is horrified. She's horrified by this. This is it. Her, her, all of her suspicions have been proven to be true. Um, to a certain extent, they thought they were going to eat her baby. But in, in fact, they actually want the baby because it is the son of Satan. And she, um, she backs up screaming, no, it can't be, and drops the knife, which sticks into the wooden floor. Overwhelmed by this realization, Rose sits down in a chair to soak it all in. There's a nice detail at this point that I really liked. 
um, after she drops the knife and she sticks into the floor, Minnie approaches and grabs the knife from the floor and then kind of like tries to treat the wood. She like, she like touches the spot, like, to get rid of like the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. She's assessing the damage of the floor. Like, damn it. This is my nice floor. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I I really liked that part. Um, it's, they don't really, it's not a huge focus on it, but it's just a nice little touch that they added. Um, so Roman asks Rosemary if she will be a mother to her child. She doesn't have to join them, but at least be a mother to her child. Did we skip the part where uh, um, she spits in her? Uh, yeah, that's, that's coming up right now. Um, so Guy approaches Spoiler her. Alert. Guy approaches her and explains that they promised him that Rosemary wouldn't be hurt and they can always have another baby. Um, they promised you me. They promised me you wouldn't be hurt, and you haven't been really. And we're getting so much in return, Ro. Yeah, and like his career. um, He's not wrong. And it's at this point that she spits in his face. Big patooey. She spits right in his face and he just doesn't (laughs) say anything any further. He just just walks back and goes back into the crowd. Um, And at this point, more guests enter the apartment and they're looking at, they're all coming to look at the new spawn of Satan. Uh, Ro is just kind of sitting there. They're like, oh, is that the mother? And she's just kind of paralyzed by this whole situation. Um, and at this point, the baby starts crying because Minnie's friend is rocking the cradle and she's doing it really hard. And the baby is just crying. At this point, Ro stands up and approaches and tells Minnie's friend she's rocking her too hard and that's why he's crying. Uh, Minnie's friend's like, what? Uh, she's, kind of a, she's kind of a bitch about it. And Roman's like, no, 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 you sit down, let Rosemary rock her baby. And Rosemary walks over and she goes, you're just trying, trying to get me to be his mother. And he says, aren't you his mother? And she kind of takes it in and approaches the cradle and just starts gently rocking the cradle and the baby stops crying. Um, And she looks in on her newborn baby's face. The crowd surrounds her and watches while she slowly looks at the baby, rocking it, and she appears to start having kind of a fondness for it. And uh, There's a little bit of a smirk on her face, and it appears that she does, in fact, love her child. Um, There's also a really funny other detail in this scene where they ask her, they bring her something to drink, and she's like, is this more tannis root? And Minnie's like, it's regular Lipton's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the final shot, she's there rocking the baby, kind of zooms in on her face, and you can kind of tell from her expression she's thinking about it, and she kind of accepts this to be her child, is how I read it. Mm-hmm. And it then it cuts to black, and the credits start to roll. No, yeah. And we get... It we zooms get, out. It, it zoom, yep, it goes back to that opening shot yeah. of the Bramford from above, and it, it zooms out from the ground to the aerial shot. And then cuts to black in its credits, and we get another la 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 la. The song from the beginning starts to play, and uh, credits roll, and we see the name of Roman Polanski, the greatest director. I think ever. A, I think <laughs> a, a, a fun alternate ending would be her just chucking the baby out the window, 
and yeah. then and then it, and then it's just like her yeah. just getting shocked in like a mental like a mental <laughs> institution and then it and then it's just done. yeah because so then like, like, i'm kind of of the opinion that she might have been crazy the whole time like yeah yeah but it would have been cool like if it culminated with her like killing the fucking baby like yeah, throwing it out the out the window my thought was and she then was they gonna put her stab in, yeah. the baby to death and I, th- I was thinking people. that too yeah um Tim, you think that she was crazy the whole time? I kind of think she was crazy the whole time. Um, Strange. I I guess I've never thought of it that way. What? I mean, you had to have at least thought about it, though. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of it probably comes to my opposition to, you know, witchcraft and such in general. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think... Either I read it as that or I read this as some kind of feminist allegory about a woman who just really wants a baby and she's trapped in this weird relationship with like this misogynistic asshole who, you know, is just kind of like only interested in himself and his own career and just very myopic and inward focused and... Um, you know, she has kind of no agency. So like, you know, her psychosis is kind of, you know, you know, I mean, hysteria. First of all, that word literally is derived from the same word, the Greek word for uterus, actually. Um, it's a it's a term that's historically been applied to women and it's often felt that, uh, you know, in the past that women, you know, if they were being emotional, you know, they were being hysterical, you know, something was wrong with them. And I, you know, I'm not going to give Polanski credit for, you know, having, you know, given those women a voice, but it was pretty hard for me to not see some of that stuff in here. Well, the, the book, the book was written by a, uh, uh, a Jewish atheist whose wife was, uh, going through pregnancy at the time, I believe. Interesting. So it was written by a male. And um, was this like what he was hoping for, you know, for his kid? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe his, maybe his wife was, uh, being a little, a little uh hist- a little hysteric bit of a, a little bit of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> a little fucking crazy i don't know oh moody moms dot <laughs> um, org yeah actually i don't have uh the author's name silly silly yeah, I, silly enough I, I i would be curious to to see what was cut from the book and if that uh that sugar aspect is something i 11 that, is that the was the uh, author Mm. Yeah, over four over uh, four million copies were sold of that book. It was immediately declared a masterpiece. He was yeah. very scared about uh, the backlash that he would receive, but immediately, um, people everybody it. loved it. Ro- Roger Ebert said about the movie, "Polanski outdoes Hitchcock." Is uh, what he said. Yeah, this was a very well done movie. I. Personally, I really like this movie. I think it's probably my favorite of those we covered. Um, I, th- I think I think it, it, yeah, it's, I think it's it, really I think it, solid. I think it does deserve all the praise it gets. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I watched it twice, honestly. I, and th- this movie does a fantastic job of giving us I- information before Rosemary gets it. Like we're always one step ahead of her before yeah, she never, gets it. It's not like you never don't know what's going on. Yeah, like. you're you're always you're always one step ahead of her, and it's ju- it just creates this tension. Like oh no, like she's falling deeper into this, and then she she also gets information, so she's kind of she's ahead of their plot they they don't realize that she knows as much as she does and she's kind of a little ahead of them trying to keep it from her but as the audience we 
we get we get the information before it and it it's not like just i don't know it's not poor exposition where it's just like oh and now this you know we like it doesn't give it like we find it out ourselves they don't tell us we just kind of based on what we see go oh we start connecting the dots ourselves Mm -hmm. and i think that it was just really well done in that sense yeah and i think i think one of the reasons why i maybe i feel i i don't know i felt i felt that like obviously i i I actually did really really enjoy this movie but i i did feel like it has like a lot of like uncashed checks like there's a lot of like attempted symbolism or like foreshadowing that they bring up that they kind of just like it doesn't ever foreshadow to anything and like again i'm not sure if that's supposed to be just like misdirection but i feel like that's one of the reasons why i was became so focused on this being like a mental illness movie is just because Mm -hmm. like there's a a lot of stuff that isn't tied together yeah like all like the christian like symbolism and stuff like isn't i mean it's it, it's definitely like just kind of thrown in there just yeah. to have it in there yeah like it's probably just to be to the devil basically it, it, ma- it makes me think that there were scenes cut from the movie that, oh yeah that for sure. it would, like it's it's something that would have paid off and, and no, it, knowing that this was uh written by like an atheist uh i mean i'm sure the book had a lot more you know um, yeah and there's actually something that i read in doing a little research about this movie that um they kind of allude to a little bit but apparently rosemary growing up in omaha nebraska um that's where she grew up and her family was extremely religious and the reason that she can't like go back to her family she mentions at a certain point that her family is very large but the reason they can't is because they cut ties with her when yeah. she when she married a jewish man yeah guy so, is not mm, a catholic yep so there's they, a dream that she has where she's on the boat and she says i'm sorry you can't come on the boat it's for catholics only and he takes his ring off yeah, yeah. And, I mean, so that yeah, it must it, be very closely think, tied to I like think the that's from the feelings book. about yep, that would have been his experience because he was a Jewish man, and I think his wife was probably of Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Another thing um, we can't go without saying is, uh, I am technically Rosemary's baby. My, my, my <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> my mother, the elephant in the room. My mother, the elephant <laughs> in the room. Yeah, I am the uh, I am the sequel. Um, and your name was going to be Adrian, was it not? Yeah. It was his, his that biological be, mother's fucks. name is Rosemary. Yeah, I Same grew up in spelling. a very Catholic um, household. My mom, my mom's name is Rosemary. Um, in this movie, the main character's last name was, I believe, Woodhouse. Was it Woodhouse? Woodhouse, yes. Okay, so Rosemary Woodhouse. My mom's name is Rosemary Atwood, and then <laughs> the. <laughs> third uncanny wait rosemary housewood Ro- <laughs> i don't even know anymore it's all blurring together my mother recently got a mia farrow haircut check this out i wish you guys could see maybe we'll post this on on our uh, on our web page but no way get the fuck out <laughs> this is this and, was, and, uh, and she's replica- april 23rd look at She's replicating the haircut that she got when she wow. was pregnant with you, right? Yeah. To be clear, this is not the Vidal Sassoon haircut. This is like the traditional Mia Farrow haircut. Like she's got bangs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was her before she got her haircut, though. I think also like the same. Is that the same haircut? Yeah, as it's before? the same. It's, it's, image it's, of it, the devil himself. It, it, it's the <laughs> it's the haircut that she has and ultimately gets it cut. She's got both haircuts. I think. Kind of like a Schrodinger's haircut situation. I think they're uh, 
I think there's something going on here. She's a lovely lady. Between two haircuts until we see and we know which haircut it is. Just like the movie, she's a lovely lady that uh, gave birth to the Antichrist. There's my mom in a picture, a superimposed picture of the Pope next to her. Skull? What the hell? The Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Uh, my mom knows how to use Facebook. That's a that's a very strange shit post. You should probably send me that. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's my my mother with a Vikings border, but like the Pope is like superimposed to make it look like like she's standing. Pope Francis is like chilling there. (laughs) Yeah, and they're at Yankee Stadium. (laughs) I don't think my mom knows like what sport sorry <laughs> anyways and yeah, i just wanted to get that out of the way yeah and you do also have demon eyes as well i do yeah i got fang i got a forked uh forked dick as well yeah it goes sano was never take off my pants on baby night yeah <laughs> <laughs> and your mother was uh, asleep was she not yeah yeah so the story the goes so the legend are, goes yeah, the parallels yeah. are just uh yeah just, this, yeah this, every this every thanksgiving your life, comes up um, every thanksgiving <laughs> and in your in your mom's in the kitchen eating the organs of the turkey. Yep, just clearing out all the the inside of the the turkey. Just slurping making, it up, looking in the toaster. The yeah, um, big big uh, meat cleaver, just <laughs> hacking off flesh. Yeah. Um, let's see what else do we have here. We didn't mention the Times Magazine article or the oh the in Times the waiting magazine. room. Yeah, is God dead? It it uh, comes up twice. I think yeah, someone might be reading it. That's in Saperstein's office. Mm. I think someone might be reading it uh, too when like she walks into the the neighbor where the sh- in the final scene. I think someone else mm. is reading it. And the party, yeah, that yeah. makes that makes sense. Um. Yeah, I don't know if we want. Yeah, to I talk mean that about... was that was probably at a time when. Um, you know, religion in America was going through an unprecedented decline, you know, late 60s. Um, people are kind of losing faith in institutions in the country. And, you know, of course, you know, Catholicism remains, you know, the Orthodox Christianity in particular in America. And so, you know, there's um, a tug between orthodox christianity and then the new way which is like this secular thing and if you're super orthodox you're probably going to see secular life as you know satanic and so i guess why not just you know make it literal mm-hmm. um sorry i'm just trying to figure out who cut uh me if is it Mia Pharaoh? Mia Pharaoh. Mia Pharaoh. Yeah. Okay. Like like a like an Egyptian pharaoh. Oh, gotcha. Not spelled the same way, but pronounced the same way. Well, there's there's um, a, so she says it costs five thousand dollars for what should have been a thirty dollar haircut. Um, they like made like this big like uh like I guess it was like a big publicity stunt like that uh the per, the hairstylist was like like the most famous hairstylist in the world or whatever Vidal Sassoon yeah 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 that's the one that's that's the one um I guess they um like set up this whole like photo shoot of him like supposedly cutting her hair but then after he died um Mia Farrow tweeted or posted online that um, that was actually just all like a big pub- publicity stunt and she had actually cut her year or her her own hair like two years prior Oh, or something. Weird. So she gave herself that haircut. So I don't know. Weird. There's just uh, some urban legends about uh, the Mio Farrow uh, and her haircut. 
Huh, Vidal Sassoon looks like Regis Philbin. <laughs> R.I.P. Also, yeah, R.I.P. Both of them. R.I.P. Speaking of R.I.P.s and um, urban legends, this uh, film is also supposedly cursed. One of the many cursed Hollywood films. Um, not a whole, not 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 a really big body count, but uh, there there were a couple notable ones here. So the first person to die, not after, on set, like not on set. No, yeah. no, no. This is like a, like the people involved in the movie. Um, a, a lot of them uh, met uh, some misfortune um, and unfortunate ends. Uh, so the first person to die involved in the making of the movie was the film's composer. Um, unfortunately, just have his last name. Of Com- la, 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 la. Yeah, that was him, Comita. Or I don't. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him Comita because I. Um, that's how it's spelt. Uh, so the details of his death are somewhat scarce. Anyway, he he was eaten uh, in a Spanish-speaking country. Oh yeah, yeah. As comida is food, I believe. All right, uh, now I'm going to call him Com Comeda. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Changing his name. No. Uh, so did de- so de- details of his death are uh, somewhat scarce, but Polanski says that in uh, around autumn of 1968, Comida, aged 37 at the time was roughhousing at a party when he fell off a rocky cliff and into a four-month coma, which is quite the way to go. Like He, he also mentioned that he had lost a sock shortly before that. Um. <laughs> Some, hey, someone took my tie. <laughs> no, so that, yeah, no, um, it's funny that you drew parallels there because that's the very same affliction that uh, Levin's witches uh, used to kill um, the suspicious... Uh, friend uh, Hutches Hutch, in the book, yep. yeah. So kind of, kind of crazy coincidence there. And what the fuck is he doing roughhousing next to a rocky cliff? And was it naked roughhousing? Because that I could understand. But if it was fully clothed roughhousing, I'm maybe a little greased up, <laughs> you know, lubed up, mm. a little bit lubed of animal up. grease, you know, yeah, maybe some yeah. blood. And this was at the Nicholson estate. No, but that'd be maybe we can throw that in there just to make it more interesting. Um, Castle Nickelstein. No, but uh, he 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 uh, he never regained consciousness, and he died uh, the next year in April uh, 1969. Um, the producer was suddenly stricken with uh, severe kidney stones. Uh, he was apparently delirious in the hospital um, and hallucinated scenes from the film, and was said to have yelled. Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife. Oh, Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, he did eventually recover just barely, but never made a Hollywood hit again, which I feel like is not the spookiest uh, ending. But I don't know, man. There's nothing scarier than a downturned career. Yeah, passing a kidney stone. I mean, who am I to say that that's not scary? It's supposed to be painful, but scary. I don't know. Um. Moving on, uh, so the next one's uh, obvious. Um, Polanski himself and his girlfriend um, considered uh, yes. a victim of the curse as well. Um, it was 1969. He had just moved to California with his girlfriend. You may have heard of her, Sharon Tate, who, by the way, appears uncredited in the background of the party scene. In Rosemary's Baby, oh. uh, not the, the young, the younger, uh, yeah, the younger party, party yeah. Rosemary's party. Okay. Um, she 
she actually tried out for the main role, but they but Paramount insisted on giving it to Mia Farrow. Farrow. Nice. Um, but she, I, I guess, she just like hung around set and uh, and uh, apparently became increasingly obsessed with the occult during this time. Huh. Um, Interesting. And then. And then her demise was at the hands of a cult. <laughs> yes, yes, literally at the hands of a uh, cult. Um, Charlie Char- Manson. Yeah. Uh, Char- not not him, but rather his followers. Charles Manson and the, the Manson family. Yeah. Sorry, the Charles Manson experience. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought it was interesting that she actually does appear in the movie. I, f- I feel like giving the yeah, curse more counts. validation. Yeah, because like if she wasn't even in the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, then it's just her tie with Polanski, but the fact that she was actually on film in the movie, I would consider her in this movie. She's definitely cursed, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's uh, quite the storied history of a... Um, yeah, so moral of the story, don't uh, don't Naked Roughhouse uh, next to Rocky uh, escarpments. Or study the occult. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Or have neighbors. Yeah. Don't have any neighbors. If they knock on your door, try to give you a chocolate mouse, you say, nah, bitch. Yeah, if you taste something chalky in your food, it's probably ground up pills. Mm -hmm. And if you put them there, then fuck it, eat them. But, you know, if not, be warned. Yeah, yeah. You you too could get impregnated by the devil. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it can happen to anyone, honestly. All right, I uh, think there's time for one last thing. The Are we able to separate the art from the artist on this one? Uh, I can I can go first. Um, personally, I with this film, I am able to separate the art from the artist. Roman Polanski is an awful person, and any of his newer projects, he shouldn't be winning awards. That's fucked up. He, I mean, it was he, so he long should be, ago, though. He should be ousted. Well, he should <laughs> he should be out, he should be ousted from Hollywood. But I do feel that films that he made before all of this happened can still be appreciated as good art because not it's it's not only his film, but Mia Farrow gives a fucking phenomenal performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this was before all this stuff with Roman Polanski. So, are, are you going to drag her through the mud just because of him? Yeah, everything after that and people that work with him after all of this is out. You shouldn't. You just shouldn't work with him. You shouldn't do it. He shouldn't win awards. Anything after that, no. I I can't separate the art from the artist. But the things that he made before, I think you can still appreciate. And another film that I really like of his, Chinatown, is one that I really like. And that one is kind of in a gray area because during production was before that, but its release was around the time when all of this happened. So that one is very much on the line. That movie, I can also separate the art from the artist, but it starts getting dicey. And anything after that, uh, absolutely not. He uh, shouldn't be working. Um, it, it, it was appalling to hear that list of directors that backed him. Yeah, fuck him. all those, that was, that fuck was all those directors, dude. I, I love a lot of those directors, yeah. and it was very shocking. Alfonso Cuaron, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, David Lynch, uh, Vim Vendors. Uh, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Pretty fucked up yeah, to hear yeah, that list. Yeah, quite um, a quite a who's who of talent there. You know, um, all defending him. Yeah, but ultimately, uh, with this film, yes, I am able to separate the art from the artist. But like I said, he should not have a career anymore, and he should be in jail. Out of how many bags of popcorn? 
Uh, actually, I think. How many crushed up pills? We, yeah, we have to come up. How many? How many dishes of chocolate mouse will I eat for this one? <laughs> um, I think, though it does have a chalky undertaste, I think I, <laughs> I think I can eat five cups of mousse on this, and then uh, and pass then out for a very long out. time. Out of five, five out of five cups of chocolate mouse. All right, you've been warned. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. First one tasted weird. The taste, the the weird taste, kind of goes away after the first one. You yeah, just, once you just start hallucinating, you once the ludes kick in, you just kind of kind of blends in. But uh, yeah, yeah, once you start, yeah, you start like not being able to taste it as much as you are like. Yeah, I like can't feel my visually see the taste in like your mouth. You know, a, like, I see like the you know sounds, yeah, dude. At a certain I'm point, kidding. I just lose feeling of my tongue, so I can't really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, how about how about you guys? Uh, um, separate okay, art uh, can I separate the art from the artist? Yes and no, as I feel like is usually the case with these types of things. Um, I do feel like since this was around how many years before the the incident? Uh, nine six, about or what wasn't it? Seventy five, seventy four when this happened. Seventy seven when it happened. Movie okay. came out in sixty eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so. okay. So yeah, so Chinatown was um, I know that as well. Yeah, so I know obviously he didn't write he didn't write this script. Um, so he did. I, he he wrote the adapted screenplay for it. Uh, oh okay, well he wrote uh, the ma- movie. Ma- yes. Well, ma- ma- mainly it's based what, on the book though, but he adapted right, it. Right, based on the book. Life. So yeah, mainly what I what I was originally going to say um, until I realized that uh, it's probably in the book too. Um, just like the whole like drugging and raping. <laughs> of, a, yeah. of, of a girl and i mean not a woman but um j- j- just knowing what later on happened i get i thought it was more uh, in, in a tighter timeline but i guess it was how many years seven years later or something seven eight nine, nine years, years he was <clears throat> thinking about what he was gonna do yeah yeah i just <laughs> I, f- I found that really uh disturbing to watch play out on screen and then uh I mean, obviously, know what he would later go on to do, which was something very similar and probably something equally as disturbing as uh, it it was portrayed in the movie, or if not more so for you know a, a, a young girl in in real life, and him being not 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 even close to her age, like at yeah, all, 30, is just 30 so years fucking older. disgusting. He was like forty. Seven when he did that? 43, yeah. 43 years old. Um, that, and, and I did just want to add quickly that he won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for this movie. Mm, okay. Most realistic rape scene. <laughs> um, God. <laughs> Jesus. You, you're watching the wrong things. I can... <laughs> uh, Got some recommendations? Uh, anyway. Yeah, no, but... Uh, yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, I, I agree with Inga. Um, I, I, I can, you know, separate the art from the artist, but uh, just, just, just seems like that particular scene, um, and then like, con- like just like drugging the main character the whole entire movie. Um, I, I obviously drew some parallels there. And uh, with Chinatown that I mentioned as well, that um, I don't want to spoil anything, but there are uh, themes like that in the movie that are also kind of questionable once you find out what he's doing later. Hmm. Um, there's just, yeah, 
a reoccurring kind of uncomfortable pattern yeah Yeah. pattern just kind of icky when you know how it ultimately turned out but yeah i'd recommend it you should check it out if you haven't seen it it's a really good movie um i yeah and then uh as far as um cups of mouse yeah how many bowls of mice mousies um i'm gonna give this one a four I'd say a four, and we're not going to do any decimals. So no, we, can, we can do decimals. You, well, you don't I have give to it a fini- four point you, you don't three, have to then. finish the last cup of mouse. But yeah. f- I, I, I was very polite to try. Well, that yeah, that would have been <laughs> think, my fifth cup, I, but I, so, I, I took a couple bites, and then I wrapped it up in a napkin, and I put it on my lap. So, so higher than so my husband uh, LA Confidential. <laughs> in, in your eyes, LA Confidential. No, LA Confidential high. was a five. Yeah. Um, well, I'm saying that... Uh, you rated that one higher than this one. So you like yeah. LA Confidential more? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, just, just just because... Um, like Horror movies are my, my favorite genre. Um, I did find this one to... Although it was very engaging. I was definitely engaged the whole time. Um, and I was surprised that like the, the age didn't show a lot more in it. Like it's still, It still holds up very, very nicely. Um, the characters are really well acted the characters themselves are just really really uh well written and uh it doesn't come off as like hokey or like um really like cheesy dialogue you know of course there's like slang from the from the time and stuff but uh it really isn't uh it's it's played uh really realistically um I guess that the one of the reasons why I would uh, give it one minus one mouse um, is because uh, it didn't really surprise me at all. There, there was nothing that really shocked me. Um, in fact, the one thing that did shock me, the chapel being behind uh, the closet, I guess I was just wrong about that. It was actually the, <laughs> <laughs> it was actually the neighbor's apartment. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was it was it was it was really solid. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm just gonna stop talking there. All right, I don't, I don't. You, up you to you, uh, Mister. Turn my ear off, baby. No, I mean, so I think that given the fact that he, he wrote this screenplay and he wrote it very fast, it's pretty hard for me to overlook Baby Knight. Um, that was a that was a, that was a, <laughs> that, that's in the book though. Yeah, it's okay. Not his, is it? It's in, is it? It's in, okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I mean, maybe that? maybe not the dialogue, but okay. ab- absolutely, yeah. he he has sex I guess, with her unconscious I guess, in the book. Yeah, I oh, think, yeah. I think ultimately, point. ultimately, just because it is it is an adapted screenplay that you know he seems to have gotten accredited for you know pretty closely following the source material. I think it would probably be unfair of me to, you know, say that this is, you know, forever tainted by by him. Um, I do think, however, though, that, I mean, it's got to be said a third time. Just, you know, he drugged and raped a 13-year-old girl and, you know, he's got a movie where, you know, basically the same thing sort of happens, but between like a married couple. It's very weird. It's, um, you know, again, maybe, you know, that was probably in the book, but... Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I can separate it, even though I was prepared to come out the gate and said I couldn't. <laughs> we um, swayed you, and um, you can say you can't. Yeah, I mean, you don't I don't have know, to. I mean, don't I don't know. I'm not 100 on my answer. I mean, I mean, it's I mean, ultimately though, it's it's kind of true. Um, but 
you know, I mean, I think it's kind of, the, it's, I think, I think yeah, the, 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 misog- like. the misogyny in the movie is I think very much just a product of the time and not as much a product of him. Um, but the misogyny in the movie is so intense that I almost had to, again, you know, take it as like a feminist allegory at times. I mean, it really reminded me of like the yellow wallpaper. Like I felt like I was just seeing some, you know, trapped femininity going on. Uh, but I mean, so, you know, th- but that's neither here nor there. I mean, so, you know, I got the mouse lined up on the table and I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm really just not a fan of horror movies. And I think one of the things that horror movies usually do have appeal in is the suspense factor. And like you said, there really just isn't a ton of suspense in this movie, especially like the biggest suspense for me was like, are they going to follow up on this thing they talked about? <laughs> what about like the uh, phone booth scene? That was pretty suspenseful. Yeah, okay. So the phone booth scene is a notable exception to that. And I think Sana or, actually, Nathaniel talked about how it was like, it was one of the best scenes in the movie. And I think I'd agree. You have the guy who's like facing away and it totally looks like it's one of the goons that she thinks is like following her and it's all like hyped and then it turns around it's some friendly guy and he waves and he's just like he's looking for directions i think mm-hmm. i think he's waiting for the phone booth. Yeah, he goes then, into the he, phone booth he just after. walks away because he's like yeah he's like just, oh it just wasn't anything phone. notable yeah yeah, yeah it, was, um, it was it was it was very much just paranoid or 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 the the suspense on the the final scene when she has the knife and guy comes back in that yeah. that's pretty riveting suspense yeah i was I at think, the edge of my seat for sure during that yeah i think i think i can give this i can give this a solid four cups of mouse which is more than enough to get completely fucked up you know i think um i'll be having a baby of my own after watching this movie <laughs> yeah you know I'm, I'm gonna go back on my i can separate the art from the artist because i feel like that's what people have been doing this whole time and that's the only only reason why he's still not in prison yeah, so but I'm this was take it back. This was before all that, though. I think you can appreciate the things of his before. Anything after, absolutely not, in my opinion. But like, you, you don't make even ex- Chinatown. Don't make well. That's before it. That's in se- <laughs> that's in seventy four. This happened in seventy seven. Um, so yeah, the, the he was thing, getting ready. The things before it, you you can still say that he it was, was buying the ludes. You, you could say that this has always been inside of him, and it's something he's eventually going to do. You could make that case, but I I think the things he did before, so like Jack Nicholson did a fantastic performance in Chinatown. You can't take that from him. But it, if you're an actor that works with him after all of this is like public, like fuck you, you don't deserve to like be praised for your movie, even if it's good. Like Adrian Brody and the Pianist. He got he got awards for that and like it's like why are you working with this man mm-hmm. when you know this this was in two thousand three like what the fuck are you doing it sounds like separating the art from the artist is the only thing that's keeping him out of prison is the only because yeah. he's like because he's uh, he's beloved in his community yeah, yeah. I, well I agree with you that you shouldn't separate the art from the artist for him as a person but for this particular film I think that you can because it predates all of this bird up dude um. Also, like, so this is definitely like a, uh, obviously like a classic movie and I can see a hundred percent why it's a classic. It's great. Um, I just feel like since, I mean, there's obviously been so much time since like, I mean, (laughs) what a stupid thing I'm about to say. 1960, when did this come out? 68? 68. 68 was a long time ago. It takes place in 66. That's the New Year's Eve party. Oh, right. 1966. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, she, I, I feel like I've I've seen this been done like a lot more rivetingly since then. Obviously, you know because I I don't know if 
if this movie kind of like coined the uh the demon the, baby trope yeah, yeah yeah which i think it did but I, i've seen this idea done like in in my opinion uh not necessarily better but like just more like my style like more like twists and turns and edge edge of, edge of my seat um what's your favorite really... demon baby film Ooh, favorite demon baby film Is Starry Eyes a demon baby film? Or is she just turning it. into the demon? I'm just, I think I'm just familiar with Starry the Eyes Omen, really old and new. Um, what was one that I saw recently? Oh, is it, uh, is it called Bliss? I want to say that one is really good. Let me just there is a, there is a, uh, 2014, uh, demon cult worship movie called, uh, starry eyes. Okay. Yep. Well, I know it's, a, I know, I know. Yeah. Bliss is definitely a demon baby movie. Yep. This one is super good. Bliss. This is on shutter. Shout out shutter. Yeah. This one's super fucking good. This is even more like uh, drug field mayhem. Like they take a, they take a, kind of like the character of Mia Farrow, but turn her into just like a like a like a drug abusing alcoholic, and um, it's kind of the, the same concept. Like someone like drugs her and then uh, starts growing a demon inside of her. She's yeah. Anyways. Fuck yeah. So you, you at least have to respect uh, something that started that trope if you like movies that are after it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, the uh, movie is great. Also respect their, their really, really big white people apartments. They had some very nice homes in that movie, despite always talking about how poor they were. They, you know, they talked about not having money. Oh, they talked. They they talked quite a bit about not having enough money, and they they had a very giant apartment, and it was yeah. very nice to imagine myself as having something of that size. Yeah, like downtown. <laughs> Our cricket is starting. I was about to yeah, say, is that yeah, what that is? Think, that what that is? It's, it's that. Time. It's that time of yeah, night. Perhaps it's time to uh, wrap it up. The the residential cricket has uh, the cricket. The crickets are starting. <laughs> Yeah, come out. It's just one, just one yeah. lonely fella just down in our basement. That motherfucker's still alive. Yeah, eight to ten weeks apparently. Damn, it's because I've been feeding him every time I come down. Every time I come <laughs> here, I throw a few, a few uh, a pinch full of crumbs down the stairs. <laughs> just have a pocket full of crumbs. Um, maybe we'll feed him that uh, leftover mouse from you guys and hope he just ods on yeah. the chocolate mouse. Ooh, they're running out the family. <laughs> With a pocket full of crumbs. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that concludes this episode. We'll be back next week with the dramatic conclusion of Monster Movie Month with one of the most monstrous of all of them. And it will probably be the scariest movie that we are going to watch. Definitely a mm-hmm. scary movie. We'll... Uh, I have COVID. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe we won't be back next week. <laughs> Tim has Tim has COVID. So. All right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully our cricket will also be gone next week, or we'll record 
not after dark when he is out and about. Sick. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> little behind-the-scenes uh, nugget there for you. We'll put that on our Patreon. Uh, please su- yeah. support. <laughs> yeah, please support the cricket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sleep tight, everyone. Thank you.